Oh, good. It's the right camera. I wasn't really sure if it would be the right camera. That's fantastic. Good morning. It's Saturday. It It's the morning. It's it's time to chill and not be too worried about uh, how the camera looks, although it's important since I haven't even looked at it this morning to make sure we got a shot at all. Good morning. I'm so looking forward to talking to you. We got some really cool stuff set up today, including reporting from you on the ground about what it's like to live in a congregation, particularly a larger congregation during the COVID situation. We got stuff about mass, more and more mass. Fascism is back in the conversation. Conversation, even though we've been talking a lot more about Marxism and communism recently, and what's the differences? Uh, we got the end of experts again. Uh, we got we got a good theological question about hating your sin and what that means. Uh, I'm going to give you my greatest public mistake since ordination, um, and then try to talk about uh, why you can't find it on on the internet, as far as I'm aware. Um, uh, although you once upon a time could. Uh, and then we'll uh, we'll also talk about uh, T notes at some point as well because uh, you're asking about that as well. So it's good to good to know that you're here. I'm going to go ahead and check though. I did such an overhaul to this place yesterday. Uh, oh, cool! That's working down there. I have this cool little thing. I do not get paid for this, but Stream Deck. This thing I've been carrying this around for like two years now. There we go. Um, this is built for streaming gamers, right? So you make your professional living playing esports, right? Uh, and you, you know, you're in WoW or, or, or whatever the biggest thing is. Um, uh, I don't know. I honestly don't know anymore. But anyway, so this lets you hotkey how to shift over various camera angles for your, your gaming and also have it set up for, you know, what your character is going to do. Is it going to hit? Is it going to do this? Anyway, repurposed entirely for us this morning, although I'm completely unsure how to use it. It does tell me there are 63 of you watching right now, which is pretty cool. And we'll see. Well, let's just go ahead and try. Well, what happens though if I do that? Can I get back? I think I can get back. Let's try this here. Here we go. Hey, look at that. It all worked. It worked. I always have to memorize that and learn how to do it again and again and then come in right when you want to without having to tell you about it while I do it, right? But uh, since I can't write it down while I'm doing it, which would be really valuable for remembering it, right? I have to just talk to you. Thank you so much for your patience as we build Mad Christianity as your brand for data mining your information under a good Christian worldview lens. What's going on out there in this world and how do you respond to it with well, your faith with trust in Jesus Christ. And so uh, the culture war is one of the big ones we're going to be talking about today. And it begins with a question from one of you. Uh, now, while I had a lot going on, I did not have this one ready. Here we are. This will take me only longer than normal. <laughs> there it is. Grab bag. Oh, oh, wait. Hmm. I didn't set this up either. Bear with me, friends. Uh-oh. This one? Nope. Yeehaw. That's helpful, except for then this part over here on the right where you can't see me. We're going back. Since I didn't do that right before, we're just going to see what it looks like covering my face. Here we go. Sarah, but that's not what I want. Welcome to the show, everybody. It seemed professional for about 10 minutes, right? Not 10 minutes. Two minutes. We will find it. I want number I. There it is. Now... With that preset and drawn right here, all right, we're going to say, yeah, we're going to go to a little tiny break and we're going to pretend we're going to start the show. <laughs> um, although you who are here live, you care about everything I said before. Uh, let's just pretend I'm Hannity or something for a moment, right? And uh, and we're going to get this thing going. So uh, I think, I think, I think we're ready to go. 
So what we know is this. Here are the facts about China COVID. Here are the facts. We know this. We know that sunshine helps you not die. We know this. Okay. And we know that kids also aren't dying and help communities not die. We know this. You can go, go, go fact check me and all that. I think I boiled it down to that though, right? Like the, of everything else we don't know, we know those two things. And, and this is a fact too. I'm pretty sure city mobs, there's a lot of confusion, I suppose. It's understandable. There's a lot of white noise. But I think we can boil it down to there, there's at least four things we know are happening. We know there are racial things going on. We know there are financially motivated things going on. There, there always are, everywhere, no matter what. So don't claim that your movement alone doesn't care. Uh, and we know there are violent things going on. That's clear. Uh, and we know there are Marxist things going on because we know that people are, like leaders are saying, we are Marxists. We believe in this, right? So we know that. Um, it, I, I hesitate on my fifth point, which would be that, that we know that it's eerily, all these things are eerily similar to, to Joe, Joe Biden's talking points, but, but that's not the point. See, that's a distraction. The moment we bring a name in, now we can't talk about ideas because in our culture, it's all personal, personal, personal. And that's what the white noise does. It makes you feel personally offended every time somebody disagrees with you. And so we can't just deal with what we know, that there are racial, financially motivated, violent Marxist things taking place in our cities, and they look like mobs. And I don't know if on the other side it's a bunch of fascists or not. I don't live in these cities. Watching Chicago, it looks like if there are fascists, it's, it's the one wanting the protests for some reason, uh, the mayor of Chicago, who is acting with impunity, meaning, meaning without listening <laughs> to anybody, it would seem. I don't know who. Um, of course, she has only the, the, the leadership of Illinois for the last, I don't know, decade to, to thank for that. Um, that being said, we know this too. So that's, here's, here's the things. We know things about COVID. We know that sunshine and kids are helpful to civilization. That's good, right? God has created things that help us with illness. Yay, right? We know that there are mobs in history, whether they're in city or country, they tend to do things violently when led by financial motivation for themselves over and against those who appear to have more than they do. There's a long history of humans doing this, and we know there's a long history of humans doing racially motivated violence. And that's a sad thing because I am an anti-racist, right? I'm against racism. I think that we should not have racially motivated anything, which is why I'm bothered by books like White Privilege, you know, written to demean the white person for, I don't know, just because? That's kind of mean, don't you think? I'm a little offended. But what do we know? What do we know? We know sunshine and kids are created by God. Uh, We know that people in groups can do things really awfully, and sometimes there's ideas behind it like, hey, you should do that, like what Marx taught the proletariat to do. And and then we know that the FBI definitely killed JFK and probably on the moon, and it is likely because Al Capone took over the FBI sometime in the 40s, but except we don't know that, do we? We don't know much of anything except for that we know this. We do know that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. When you look at history and you ask what happened in the 40s or what happened under this slave owner, George Washington, when you want to know what was really going on on the ground and how you would have been, the only way to do that is to dig into their writings and to carefully discern what they meant. And what I'm noticing more and more about our civilization is that we just don't do that at all. 
We don't read. We don't write. We just imbibe. We are living the matrix, whether we realize it or not. And you don't have to have machines turn you into a battery. It's like Pandora, only it's your eyeballs. And you sit down and you plug in and you just absorb and absorb and absorb. And never have we as a people, and I mean Americans and I mean Lutherans, sat down and said, now how do we teach ourselves to not be brainwashed brainwashed by the talking box? We haven't done it. And, and here we're watching the catastrophe of what it means to live in a civilization where people really do control the news on every single level. And our answers are always to like pick one of their sides against each other rather than to say, wait a minute, aren't we our own? Aren't we our own? Isn't that the point of this country? That we got to pull up our own britches at some point? And so, I don't know. To me, well, that's where this question is going to help us. Is there any New Testament mandate, says uh, Colloquia de Cristo, is there any New Testament mandate from Jesus or any of the apostles to wage a culture war? Is there any imperative to change culture, community, city, or government? Now, I love this question because I want to talk about culture war as first wrongheaded in the pop terminology that we've come used to, that we use, at least as American English speakers here in the Northern Hemisphere, right? Uh, <laughs> check my privilege, I suppose, right? And rightly so. Uh, when we speak, we want to be careful. There's a lot of Americans in the Southern Hemisphere. But as a United States citizen, the culture war language in English means an attempt to win over the minds of the young by being cooler than the cool are. So whoever's cool, we're going to be that cool too. And it really doesn't matter what medium you're using, movies, music, whatever. It, 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 Christian pop music, sadly, I mean, early on it might have been different, but sadly it very quickly became not a matter of Christians just wanting to sing and use really cool instruments. It became very much a part of what uh, American capitalism, sometimes monopolism, uh, what it does to things that it buys. And so when the Christian the contemporary Christian music movement was purchased by non-Christians and continued to go on, and I think still does, you can only imagine it's just not going to be what the kind of culture war we want to fight. And that's the problem. How can you compete against multi-billion dollar conglomerate global companies? You can't, whoever you are. And yet the amazing thing about the internet is that you kind of can. Just only in small circles. And that's the thing, is that we think, oh, the small circles don't matter. I'll go watch the big circle. Well, you need a little of that in life, but, but you got to be, you know, know what's going on down the street. Uh, but that does not mean you just have to sit there and imbibe what the world tells you to believe. <laughs> and that's what you do. You just sit there and let the world say it. And you're like, you're assuming that 98% of it's true. And I don't know what part of the Bible teaches me to do that, to think, oh, I'm going to talk to someone who has a completely different view of the world than I do, who, who believes maybe that the gods are in nature or that there is no divine power that is good guiding the universe. I'm going to let that person just fill me in on what happened on the other side of the planet. I'm sure they have no agenda whatsoever, and it's all free. I mean, Kibono is such an important question, and if you don't know it, you can look it up. Uh, I'll spell it wrong if I try. It's Latin. Uh, who benefits? Who benefits? The Romans knew that you know if you wanted to study politics, study the end of end of the Republic and the rise of the Empire. They knew how to move a mob 
for the sake of garnering their own personal employment power, you know, what they could do, what they could produce. And this is not new to, to people. And to think that somehow this just – Americans are so naive that that's never gone on or isn't going on. It's the very thing people are protesting against. The funny thing is is that they're being stirred up by the ones who wanted to keep getting stronger for them and keeping us on the ground even weaker. So that the, the proletariat is being led by what, what, again, I would call fascist thinking. We'll come back to that later. Can you fight this with pop music? And I think the answer is no, <laughs> you know, not even a little bit. But is there a New Testament mandate for us to do something in the culture? That's a different question. It's a really good and important question. And I'm going to answer it right on the other side of this sip of water. What is the right culture war? Uh-oh, hit a button. What is the way that the Bible does exhort Christians to engage in what you could call, symbolically, warfare, or symbolically, a fight? Because on the spiritual plane, on a dimension that you cannot see materially manifesting itself in any way, shape, or form, unless God gives it special permission, on that plane, there is a complete light versus darkness, epic aeonic battle. And that is ongoing, even though the final victory has most definitely been won, that the mortal wound has been delivered to the ancient foe upon his forehead, and he prowls right now as one appearing to be alive, and yet he knows his time is short. And again, this is all going on behind what you see on the news, and they don't even believe it's there. (laughs) Everyone who's talking to you doesn't even believe it's there. You don't have to believe in the epic scale that I just described it in. You don't have to see the comic book features that I imagine when when I teach or look at Revelation. But but it's still there. Uh, angels and demons and, and Jesus reigning over everything. And, and so if we're going to have a culture war, it should begin by believing what's going on behind our own culture. What, what does the Bible talk about when it talks about dealing with demonic warfare? Does it talk? Does it give a bunch of instructions about how to cast out demons? I'll wait while you do a quick search. No. There are no direct instructions about how to cast out demons. There are people given that power directly, generally by Jesus or one of the apostles. And it's pretty cool because they just do it. And there's times when even they're doing it isn't quite successful. And then Jesus does it. And Jesus says enigmatic things that, that I think should be believed anyway. Like this kind only comes out by prayer. I think that's pretty important. But there is really not like a manual for go around, find the demons, and pull them out of people's faces. It's just not there. And I'm all for believing that if you actually get demon-possessed, prayer and scripture consistently just going on with people around you is, is our one great hope, right? I've not seen that one yet face-to-face, nor do I pray for the day. But what I do pray for and believe in is what the scriptures do say about spiritual warfare, about fighting the demons. It says that we demolish their strongholds. And that's very warfare talk. And I don't know how it's not culture or policy or civilization talk. 
How is the demolishing of a stronghold just a spiritual thing? Now, in this, this is where if you've read my book, Without Flesh, this will help a little bit to remember that your thoughts are not just spiritual things, that my words are not just spiritual things. This is like a really ignorant thing from theologians in like the 1600s or before them that couldn't understand or see what we see now and sadly, in some cases, wanted to impose their opinions upon the Bible and use these as hook arguments to dismiss what the scriptures say about things like sacrament and whatnot. But the fact is that we are entirely created physical. Even the things we consider to be spiritual that we can see, <laughs> they, like thoughts, they're physical things flowing through your head according to chemical stuff. And, and that, that's just amazing. Again, Without Flesh is a whole chapter on it. It's one of my favorite chapters, even though it's not the main point of the book. It's just so beautiful to see the created order supporting the Word of God and, and how it works. But so, so the war then that we're supposed to fight, the demolishing of the strongholds that Paul talks about is precisely this, to go at the arguments, the ideas, the lies of the present darkness, which we have exposed for us in scripture as evident realities, and to be fearless in our advocating for them being the reality. Now, this has become the case, obviously, for what uh, a man and a woman and a baby would normally be called in English, like family marriage, right? Like, what do those words mean? And what is the agenda of, uh, you know, new wave reformation chaos trying to make them mean? Well, you can see how it is almost hard now to have, say, grandkids, because you can't just say basic things that you would have believed about, say, the Sixth Commandment. Well, this is the thing. Can you or can you not? And what happens when your kids get angry at you and when, when they do not? And, but if you want to talk about a culture war, you get over yourself about making blankets for India and making you know pop songs for the youth group. And uh, frankly, the youth group's not going to save you either at this point. You have to deal with the fact that you have disagreements in ideology in your family. You have to have civil conversations about them. You have to find a way to live with it and discuss it and quit pretending like it's all going to go away if you just watch more TV and sports and take some drugs. You know, prescription, of course. Yeah? Well, so, I mean, the, that's the culture war that the Bible's pretty clear we should be fighting. Like, every day in my house, there should be a culture of the Ten Commandments are true and we forgive each other constantly because we're pretty bad at keeping them, even with each other in this little tiny group, you know? A, from, from, a, from a love of neighbor perspective. And so, yeah, I mean, this is why the question's almost almost laughable a little bit. I know you mean it well. I don't mean to insult you at all. But, you know, is there any mandate to wage a culture war to change community, city, or government? I mean, are you not supposed to raise your kids? I mean, what is the fourth commandment about? Yes, there's a mandate. <laughs> yeah? And, and I can just say, oh, Romans 13. Don't you know Romans 13? That's what, what Lutherans would normally do at this point in the conversation. I think I'll just say instead, the Bible is very clear that you're not free to be a bad person. And that being a good person means you make the world around you good. And that if you're going to do that, you're going to make your family good. You're going to make your street good. You're going to make your neighborhood good. You're going to make your city and community good. You're going to want to have a good government. You're going to pray for that all the time and actually try to make it happen. I mean, why would you not? And that's the culture where we haven't fought. That's the culture we, we haven't fought. Uh, we, we've been from the sidelines pretending to be in the major leagues while playing, you know, Pop Warner football and calling it, you know, movies. Uh, and, and what we have not done is made enough. There's a few, but enough scientists, cops, politicians, 
lawyers who are not just sometimes attending a Lutheran church, but are diehard and identified baptismal regenerate people. <laughs> I believe that Christ has shielded them from the enemy and nothing can touch them. Uh, and even if they die, like, yeehaw, here we go. So um, we haven't quite been doing that one. And then sending them off to, to you know, what, teach in universities or, or maintain public order because they believe there is such a thing as public order. And there's a way you can have family units that encourage this by raising children as opposed to destroying the family, like many of the things that have been happening in Illinois for the last, I don't know, 50 years under largely one party, and yet somehow it's all everybody else's fault. I, I, don't, I don't get it anymore. I mean, just just who, how, like, uh, do I have to move to the ghetto now? I mean, really? Can we talk? <laughs> That's what it feels like sometimes. Uh, it's not that bad, and I shouldn't make light because I know, but this is the problem. The other side is constantly calling, you know, fascist, racist, all this Nazi, they're calling wolf. And at a certain point, it no longer means wolf. It's a very important story, even though I think Hans Christian Andersen was a white guy. You don't, ha- you could tell it, you could tell it, you know, culturally appropriate it to some other thing. It doesn't have to get credit for being white. But this idea that if you shout about there being an enemy too often, and then there never is one, people stop believing you. Well, it de- it makes the language useless then. And so now, how do you not just joke about what the word racism means? And that demeans the fight this country and the people in generations prior to our lazy generations, Gen X and below what they really did achieve for unity between cultures and communities on the streets in this place compared with what they got, the cards they were dealt, and what they came out with. They made so much ground, and we we lost like almost all of it, it looks like. I don't know how it turns around from here. I know I believe in what they wanted, and I know what I'm seeing is not what they wanted, and I don't know how it got to that point. I do know it has to do with plugging into you know the Matrix every night and making sure that I did just spill coffee. Uh, this carpet is uh, multi-purpose. <laughs> Plugging into the matrix every night and making sure that you you turn off the brain. I gotta I gotta check out. I gotta plug. I gotta unplug for a little bit. Ching. Tell me what to think. Right. And hey, look, you're talking. I'm talking to you right now. Right. You're watching. Well, hopefully you're listening. Hopefully you're taking notes. Hopefully you're challenging me. Hopefully you're not just swallowing what I say. That would be silly. That's none of my business, isn't it? Oh, did I just do that. I did just do that. That was fun. Um. So, is there an imperative? Yeah. You're supposed to be a good citizen. You're supposed to be a good person. What does that mean? In the U.S., it means you should own a copy of your Constitution. You should. There's free ones. Print it, right? Go to the library. Check one out. Like, those things are still there, mostly, the library. <laughs> Illinois is a little bit more police state than just north of me. Um, but, but, but all that said, you, you, should, you should know what it means to be a citizen of the U.S. and believe that's God's desire for you until you decide to per- procure for yourself laws of extradition to, or you know immigration to some other country. So, so what the what is said in the Constitution, both of the United States but also of your local governments, like this is your agenda to some extent. And if you don't like where that's going, well, then again, you have the freedom and power here to speak out against it, which is really really cool. Like like oh man, I don't know. Um, we watched Far and Away as a family uh, a couple couple months ago, and it, think what you will about eighties, nineties, nineties, nineties movies, um, and Tom Cruise in general. Uh, uh, it's a pretty decent movie. One of the things that struck me most—I mean, do you like my hat? It, one of the things that struck me most about it, though, I think they soft pedal. They they try not to, but they soft pedal the 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 dirt of the age. They try not to, but it's still, you look at 90s, there's makeup. I mean, it's just, it looks like it's produced. Um, but 
what it does do, at least in the human relations that are taking place, is show you what it's like to live in places that don't have freedom. For example, when the story opens up in Ireland and uh, Jack Reacher, he's not named Jack Reacher, but Tom Cruise, um, Maverick, uh, uh, what's, what's his name? Uh, Evan, Evan something, Mission Impossible. Anyway, <laughs> uh, he's sitting there trying to till some potato land with, with the donkey and his two drunk brothers, Irish, um, who are just, you know, pelting him with stones and getting in fights. And the lords come in and they just, they just evict him and tell him to leave and they can't be there. And this has been their family land forever. It's just been passed from lord to lord to lord, but, you know, more taxes were levied at a certain point. And now that you can't pay the taxes, so there goes the land. Look, look, this is history and normal. That, that's what struck me at that moment, right? This is what so much of history is, is that men who have power take power for men who have a little power, right? If I get more than you, I try to take it and then I try to build my own. And over time, it does create gaps that become so significant that people really have no voice whatsoever. And what I'm here to tell you today is that this country is the best antidote there has ever been. And if you think we got to tear this country down, we're all going back to warlords, <laughs> is is going to be warlords. Uh, and, and they're probably already there as global warlords again. I mean, the Matrix is in control. Googleplex runs the white noise already. I mean, they're fighting with, with Chinaplex, and I don't know why they're fighting together sometimes. I mean, you should ask questions about that, but, uh, you know, maybe they think they can win. Um, but they also don't want the U.S. to stop them. I, I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't know. I know Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, and I'm supposed to be the best citizen of America that I can be. And that means less about what I produce for you on the internet and more about what I produce in the children I raise, period. And then what we produce as a family in the area around us. So I I put my money where my mouth is on this recently. Kind of a big step for me. Um, I don't like phones to begin with. I mean, just, you should just know that I don't, I don't like, um, conversations where I cannot very carefully understand you. I get confused easy. I have a hyper mind. You know, my fist gets confused. Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, I have a very hyper mind. I'm, I'm making jumps in information. And that's part of how I teach and, and why I'm able to connect things in the way that you listen to them, right? Um, but because of that, uh, a conversation with someone, say, on the telephone is tough for me because I'm I'm trying to read so much of the conversation and having my own thoughts challenge. I want to say this. I want to think that. Right. And so I'm trying to pile it down, slow down, fisk, have a conversation with somebody else. And there's no, there's no data coming in. Right. Um, And so it's very important for me uh, in like human relationships to have one-on-one face-to-face conversations so I can understand things, especially if there's going to be a conflict or something like that. The result of this is, I mean, why do you care? The result of this is I hate phone calls. Like, and I don't think I'm alone in my generation. I think there are a waste of time in a lot of ways. You know, text could do it uh, a better job on some things. Amazingly, text can be a waste of time in a lot of ways too. There's too much media to know which one's good for what, right? Ah, but, (laughs) um, you know, calling the doctor or, or, uh, really calling anybody on the phone as an introvert, uh, on top of all of this, right, it's just not easy to do. Nonetheless, right, against all of this, you know, and I, I don't know, by the gracious gift of God, I did have a phone call this past week with my local congressman for my state senate, which sounds like, you know, small potatoes, but that's the point. <laughs> you know, he wanted to talk to me too. Uh, and, and that was really, really awesome. Uh, and we had a good 15 minute conversation. I introduced myself as a pastor in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. I had mentioned the Alliance on Defending Freedom, which Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod is uh, connected with and supports so that he would know where I was coming from. And then we had a good conversation about um, things in the area 
uh, that I I could promote that would be valuable that are that we as Lutherans are into you know pro life pro creation and environment uh, and, and pro bill of rights right pro, pro community pro neighborhood and right off the bat um, he he not only told me about and this is fantastic I mean his name is John Capella um, uh, he's gotten in his term as a Republican in a Democrat. Controlled uh, Springfield uh, has authored and passed legislation on criminal justice reform, which is totally worthwhile. Um, it, it benefits nonviolent offenders in ways that let them reorient back into the community after doing a dutiful serving of their time, um, which is which is really really awesome. Um, uh, on that level. There was someone else, so I got distracted by his own talking points. Now uh, I'm just so proud. I'm proud that my my local congressman like wanted to say that, and that he didn't have well Trump this or well someone else that. He said, "Well, what I do is what I've done is this," um, and to know then also that in my um, in my community, my congressman is trying to get state legislation passed, uh, which helps police at the end of the day. And as a former cop, is working for that. So so learning that was valuable, and then. Um, from it, I learned there's a rally to support our local police. It's not to support bad cops in every place everywhere. It's to support our local police who have a really tough job, just like every cop everywhere ever. Um, and, you know, whether they're good or bad, they have a, they have a tough job. Uh, and, and so um, to learn about that and just to be able to go with my family, like that's that's an exciting thing to me. Um, why? Because the local reality matters more. It also is more scary, right? Even as I say this, like, look, I'm talking to the world about how me and my family are going to be at this public thing, right? Um, but that's just it. Like, okay, um, am I going to be afraid of my street? Uh, I like to listen to a song from the Spider-Man uh, universe, multiverse, well, which one was it? Into the Spider-Verse uh, soundtrack uh, by Lil Wayne. I wasn't really into Lil Wayne until this song. I'm not sure I like everything the song says. And whoever the guy at the end is that, that finished, he sounds cool, but I can't understand anything he said. Anyway, Lil Wayne's, you know, Scared of the Dark. It, it's, it's about, you know, living on streets that are dangerous and how you can't live afraid every day. And you just have to go and know that you are who you are. And um, amazingly, there's language in there about being, you know, a child of the light. You can hear his his Christian grandma's uh, preaching of Jesus almost in some of it. And you hope for the man. Uh, it's hard to know. The language is very vague. But uh, talking about how, you know, how can a star be afraid of the dark? I mean, that language does apply to Christians. Are you kidding me? You know, how can a son of God be afraid of the dark? I mean, I wish someone had told me that when I was a kid, not in the sense of like, buck up, son. Like, son, look, check it out. You got nothing to be afraid of. You know why? Because Jesus is your king and he runs even the dark. He does it by shedding light on it. And I can tell you right now, there ain't no monster under your bed. So buck up and know you got a God on your side. Good night, son. Yeah. Like, like that would help. I should say that to my son. Ha, you know, it's it's hard, right? It's hard to really put that faith into practice. But if you want to talk about a culture war, that's what it is. It's putting your faith into practice, into words, with your family, with your neighborhood, with your local authorities. So so again, I told the congressman, I said, look, I'm pro-life, we're pro-creation, that's what we are here in this area. And we want you to know that, you know, if there's anything we can do to support those causes, let us know about it. That is what the Lutheran Layman's Local Action Network hopes to do and be, uh, a network that will enable you to network you to encourage you to all together do this kind of thing locally. What is that? Engage a culture war that's not about winning over institutions or getting a bunch of money somewhere, but it's about actually raising a civilization from the ground up, knowing that, of course, there will be those who go away. There will be those who depart. The texts coming up in the coming weeks talk about how ravenous wolves 
will arise even within faithful congregations like Ephesus. And, and yet, and yet, we can be confident that the word of the Lord reigns supreme. I mean, if your answer, if my, if my answer is, hey, okay, here's the real culture war, believe the Ten Commandments, believe the Creed, pray the Lord's Prayer, know your Bible as well as you can after that, Augsburg Confession go a long way in helping in that. And if I tell you that that's our solution to the future, and you say, but... <laughs> Like, I was like, oh, I'm not sure we're on the same page, you know? Um, and, and then so have some confidence in it. It's going to get dark. It might get really dark. This might be a new dark ages. So put some roots down. Build a library. Have some words that last. And again, start taking notes. I'm going to talk more about that later this morning. But hey, that was an opening monologue. Oh my goodness, I did one. And it was thanks to all of you. Thank you, uh, Colloquius de Cristo, for giving me the, um, what, what do we call this in uh, in seminary? They call this... Uh, a text for a pretext. Here's some homiletics for you. You're not supposed to do this. And I didn't really. I think I answered this question. But what you do is you find something in the Bible uh, that has like the word you want, right? So here it says apostles. I don't know if I can point at the screen on this thing yet or not. I think I can. But anyway, uh, it says, you know, his apostles wage, right? And so, and that's how Rick Warren does his whole purpose-driven thing. It's like, oh, you know, I, I did a check for the word wage. The word wage is there. I'll just put that one in as a footnote that it supports the text, you know, regardless of what the verse actually said. Um, so when a, uh, you can do this as a preacher, make it look like you're preaching for the Bible by making the text a pretext. So you, you open the Bible and you find a phrase in it like, and the apostles did this. And you go, oh, and by the way, the apostles are like this and that and this and that and over here and then they did this and that's what we're supposed to do but it's not actually what it said next right you never go back to that you, you just you just take the text as if it's about something as a topic and then you go and you say what you want as opposed to getting into the text itself so text for pretext i didn't quite do that but thank you for giving me the fodder all the same ah let me see i'm gonna take a one minute break we'll be right back and just dive into some of those super chats that came through a couple more uh, news business tidbits and uh, then questions from you all the way through the morning all right uh, just just reviewing the super chats thank you this morning those of you who have thrown these in already uh Drickey says this uh, sorry i can't join you guys anymore meaning live i believe i no longer have my day off uh, this is no longer his day off saturday uh, have you read beauty by sir roger scruton uh, no i have not uh if if not you should there's a lot i should read but thank you oh we'll just leave that sitting right there there we go. Also, uh, and thank you for the Rex. So anybody else, Rex help more and get more. They're more likely to get us to pick them up. Like someone else is going to pick this up. Maybe someone will do it right now just from this. But if you just told us like why, right? Uh-oh. Uh, why? What would that do for me? Um, if not, you should. Also, Ari, last week, uh, check out the Fourth Ages video for today when you have a time. Velate uh, Amici. I am not good at that, um, but I tried. And I don't know. I don't know what any of that means. Yeah, but cool, Drecky. Um, keep filling us in with whatever that means and give us more. Thank you for the super chat as well. Also, we have uh, Jedi Knight Anakin Cringewalker comes along. He's always supportive. He says this, I once met a Syriac Christian who gave the example, a kid gets chubby, their friends call them fat, they are inundated with that, so they accept the label, yeah, the demon enters to repeat that to them forever. And that is, you're right, that's how the conscience works, and that's how shame works. And the demons definitely work with these stronghold arguments that are the opposite of what scripture says on matters like grace, right, and forgiveness, and also right and wrong. They they twist those arguments to bind the conscience into self-shaming, right? Uh, and uh, that, in fact, that's the sad thing is everyone shouting about no shaming. They're like shaming, right? Because they're also living in, in shame. Uh, it's a shame-oriented culture. 
Uh, and in most cultures are, especially cultures that have some sort of uh, like root level right versus wrong founding, which the Puritans did give to this country and to the agendas, which I think are behind or like historically you can track the ideology of these things. This is just still the puritanical movement at work. It just abandoned its God and now has demanded everyone else join it in its, I don't know, its reckless atheism um, because that's the answer. That's the antidote to not being Puritan, right? It's like they got to be the opposite. Let's let's destroy the world. Anyhow, um, yeah. Accepting the shame... I really detracted there, didn't I? Accepting the shame complex, though, that that's going on in your head, that all of us as Americans for sure, and I don't know if there are non-shame cultures, but uh, as Americans, whether you're living in the shame culture that the white noise is yelling right now, which is really unfair shame, um, or in in the one of the 1950s, right, which the 60s rebelled against, uh, wherein what they believed about marriage per se was right, but the, the manner in which it was taught and approached was hardly one that filled lives with grace and promise and hope. Uh, in fact, it led to a lot of very sad and frustrated marriages and an outpouring of divorce at the, you know, once we allowed it, which doesn't show you like how great divorce is. And it doesn't show you how bad marriage is. It shows you how bad we were at marriage <laughs> and at preparing people for it. And if you watch the movies that show people falling in love with the first guy they met from a different town, you know, I mean, well, no wonder, you know, <laughs> uh, it's really, that's a poor way to mate for pity's sakes, you know, uh, anyway. Um, so the shame culture that's over us and all of us, so, right? Either way, it takes us and attacks us with various bits of information. The white noise right right now, the, the, the you know the the download you get every night or every day from whatever media you're imbibing, you know me included, is taken by your your brain, your subconscious, subconscious, your spirit, your psyche. It's kind of all boiled down together and rattles around inside you. And that's who you are, is all that information. And, and some of it you stand against, right? Because you have other information that's already there that's like, is strong enough. It's like, nope, does not compute, discard. But the thing about those discarded things, and this is, this is really shown with language uh, study as well, is that over time, if that same thing comes back every day and it's just, it's the same lie every single day, and you're like, yep, discard, yep, discard, yep, discard, yep. You get weaker and weaker to it, and it can move you over time. And that's why letting anything go over and over again at you without discerning it is important. Here's to, by the way, tangent, here's to re-watching movies over and over again. Here's to re-listening to the same song constantly, because what it says is so good that you want it to be in your head all the time. Uh, that the story that it tells is so true that you want it to always be a part of you. Now, if you want to go even one better, you can just pray the Psalms. <laughs> and it takes all of that and it makes it historically an epic masterpiece of you know first-person reality. Um, but you can do a little of all of that. There's no reason not to supplement, you know, uh, what? Uh, David standing in all of his willingness against his fears with, you know, a little, little Wayne, fear of the dark. I mean, why not? Why not believe both those things and let them be part of you every day? But what I'm advocating to you is you don't let just everything be part of you every day. That you start saying, okay, I've heard this thing enough. I've heard this thing enough. I've seen this thing enough. I know what it's going to do. That's That channel, whatever it is, I know what it's doing. And I may need to know about it for my job, or I may need to know about for other things, but I don't even know about all of this. What I do need to know about is the things that I wrote down that when I look at them a second time, I go, oh, I need to know about that. That's what you need to know about. If you took any notes in anything I just said, right? Let's just say you have some papers like this here, right? 
right? You take some notes on it. Just scan it for the first like two words you see and then read that. And my guess is that matters to you. If it doesn't cross it out, throw it away. Who cares? You know, and then hey, find something that does and then ponder that for a second and write it down on another sheet of paper. And you might just find some magic happens. And I don't mean magic in, in an actual spiritual way. I mean, a providential, uh, that the way design and creation and the order works, God made the human mind to be really good at what you're about to try to do which is super processing with massive contextualization uh, so that you bring the uniqueness of you and your history to every piece of information you look look at and where the postmodernist said you change it and you make it less than it is. Well, you're never fully able to embrace God with your own mouth, right? So yeah, you, you don't change it. You change your view and you never really are the author of truth, but you certainly are a created being with the capacity for confessing and repeating truth, for translating that truth. As is the essence of what it means to be man, is the essence of what it means to be a Christian also, that the truth to be translated is that man has been restored and Jesus is risen. So the point is, though, this has all been created by God as an order, and in it, your mind has a, a particular superpower that was discovered, I think, ages ago, but lost in the heightened excitement over things like iPhones. And that is that when you read something and write it down, or when you listen to something and write it down, and then you take half a moment and you look at it again and you rewrite it, you do like a super leap, an exponential super leap into understanding what you just wrote. And you will bring with it expertises that you simply have from your past, regardless of whatever degrees you have on the wall, things you know you've read or seen or watched, you know enough about it, it's going to just start piling out and being part of it. And you're going to find you know a lot more than you think you do. And you also know a lot more what you want to do than you think you do. And you can even begin then to say, well, maybe I should <laughs> and, and set, lay those plans for, you know, I'm a, I'm a person, I'll just be frank about it. I, I'm <laughs> I never thought I was an angry person, but I think I am. And uh, I, I don't know that I know why. I don't know that I want to know why, but I know this. I know I don't want to be an angry person. I never thought I was an angry person because I didn't want to be an angry person. I don't think anything you would have ever seen from me in public would have demonstrated that. And I think by and large, I'm not, I wasn't always angry at home, but I think that by and large, I think my, my family thought I was frustrated all the time. I certainly gave off that impression all the time. Like, oh, he's always kind of, uh, you know, and, and I was working hard and, you know, eating poorly and all, all this other stuff. Just drinking coffee too. It'll actually do it a little bit. But but with all that being said, um, uh, I decided that I don't want to be an angry person. And then you're hit at a moment when that happens, right? It, but the Bible says I'm a sinner. Lutherans, here's our particular problem, right? The Bible says I'm a sinner. Sanctification. So I know that no matter what I do, I know that matter, no matter how how many cognitive behavioral therapy, <laughs> cognitive behavior, goodness gracious, um, public speaking courses I go to, <laughs> I will still be able to trip over my own feet just fine. And, and in every level, including, well, eventually you're going to be frustrated, irked, angry about something. But what point does that become an excuse? And, the Lutheran answer is always, well, it's not an excuse. You're supposed to do both. And, and maybe I've just always been immature in this regard, but that just that felt like a, a limp-wristed argument to me. Didn't have a lot of gusto behind it. Like, and I believed like, we're supposed to do both. That was never a doubt for me. You're supposed to be good. You're supposed to not be angry. But what, what I, I believe now a little differently is that it doesn't happen without you receiving the gift of 
things like patience, receiving the gift of things like self-control, which involve a moment in which you're angry, but you aren't the same way. And it's not a massive transformation, a regenerative, you know, light-binding experience of resurrection. It's a moment where last time you acted this way, and this time you're going to act this way, and it's just the smallest little step, but you keep taking those small steps, just like the inundation of white noise against your brain. You keep taking those small steps, and you're going to have new habit formation. So my agenda is not that I'm never going to be angry again. It's that in my anger, I would not outwardly sin. And that I believe firmly the Holy Spirit is giving me the self-control as a promise to endeavor this attempt uh, with the belief that if I fail, he'll be on my side. But why would I fail? And I think knowing that in every moment where I'm actually angry will be really helpful. And so like writing that down and then having that read by me every day to myself for my own agenda, that's super helpful. Translating it every day. Oh my goodness, it's like 10xing it. You're, 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 you're superpowering the rewriting of what you want to be. So if you're into Jordan Peterson at all, he's into this thing called self-authoring, and it's really neat. It's, it, it's a couple of questions, and you write long essays about it, and it helps you decide who you want to be. And it can really turn your life around, honestly. It's, not, it's, it's shown to work. Uh, and Jordan Peterson ain't no joke. Uh, he knows not only the science of the entire thing, he knows the dark side of the personal battle with pain. And so you know, even the bad news about Jordan Peterson in the news is just honest news that helps me trust when he's talking about brains um, uh, you know, and how, how mind work uh, all the more because he's in the trenches probably more than than any of us in this regard uh so uh now i talked about jordan peterson and i got i got distracted there um i'm just going to go back to translating then rewriting what you have written down becomes the ultimate 10x of your own thought it brings your past onto the paper let me give you another one this is so easy to apply this one at home um, it's not easy because it's super hard because it's a spiritual war because every demon in the world, demon or not, your own flesh is not going to want you to do the thing. But here's the thing. You're you're frustrated with someone in your house. You don't feel real great about what they did. They're not there right now, but you can't wait. Or maybe they are there right now and you can't wait to tell them how what they did was wrong. If you don't, if you don't and you walk away and you write it out on a piece of paper and you let all your venom out on that piece of paper – let it sit for a day and come back and look at it again. You're going to feel really embarrassed about it, which is a little bit good. It's called humiliation. And and you might have also, by the time you got there, actually had a conversation with the person in which the thing that needed to be said got said. And all this other venom that was in you, well, that's just your sin. And you just have to kill it. Throw it in the trash can. That's what it was. I was sinning. So I sinned on paper and I instead spoke Christianity. Uh, that's that, I call that a chalk it up to a, a small win. Yeah, what do you say? Yeah, <laughs> that's what I would call that. And, and that anybody can do this. And this isn't just Christian knowledge. People have known this for aeons. That if you go and you write it down, right, and you then ponder it and come back to it, it can really help you. But it, it is. It's something that while it might be common wisdom we've known for aeons, it's been, it's been lost to us. They taught you how to type. Did they teach you how to take a note, translate the note so you understood it? Or did you just learn to hate school? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people just learn to hate school. Um, so, that all out of you, uh, Jedi, Knight, Jedi Knight Anakin Cringewalker uh, on uh, light and darkness. Well, because your fight against the darkness, again, is going to be based upon the scriptures. And you want the scriptures in your head. And I'm just, I'm just going to tell you, if you want to fight back against the, the download, 
um, you, you got to start writing something down and then looking at it again later and asking yourself what you really believe. Don't expect to just kind of walk around and come up with it. You know, you're not Buddha, <laughs> you know, um, and none of us are really. So, uh, okay, cool. We got more from you in these cards I set up. I don't know where anything is over here because it's all new. And I am going to, yet again, take a drink of water. Beer back. Alrighty then. So we got a question about sin. Mm-mm-mm. And again, we are on slow mode for picture drawing today. Here we go. Now it's too far away for me to see. <laughs> do, do, do. I really like to talk about sanctification, how we are even when we fail. That is how we are sanctified, even when we fail. Still, though, I have always struggled when asked, do you hate your sin? Sometimes the answer is an obvious yes, but there are times when I ought to be working on my vocations of son, boyfriend, or college student, but instead, I kill whole days playing video games, going for long drives, or even just napping, so that I don't fulfill my vocation, and yet I rarely ever truly feel bad about it. You're just numb, dude. I mean, it, it, it's not that that makes it okay, uh, but we're all numb. So so let's wake up, right? I mean, that's just kind of the first thing. Let's just wake up. Um, I can go on. I can go back after and say, yeah, that was wrong. But I also enjoyed killing all the time on the fleeting pleasures of this life. Now, part of your issue is that you're, you're not really wrong to quote unquote kill time. Although looking at it that way is a bit um, atheistic, honestly. Uh, what you're trying to do is enjoy time. And I, I don't think that that's really a bad thing necessarily. It was created for that purpose and it belongs in our life. It's what the Sabbath is really about. And it shows how much, you know, the fact that we're supposed to go to church and hear the word on the Sabbath not only shows how much the word of God is supposed to give us joy, um, but also how little we, we actually believe it. Uh, so, you know, fascinating thing. Um, so let's come back to that, though. I mean, your question's a good question, but I think you're wrong in what law you're applying, if that makes sense. Uh, so anytime I look at myself like that, it is disconcerting since I have been on the wrong side of legalism. Yeah, well, that's understandable. Um, yet I don't want to slip into antinomianism either. Everybody does and nobody can. And I, I'll try to come back and remember what I said there. Everybody does slip into antinomianism and nobody can slip into antinomianism. Not on a daily basis, okay? And nobody is on purpose out there in antinomian right now unless they're actually trying to tear down civilization. Uh, they are against laws, right? Uh, so we shouldn't call people against laws when they have laws, they have plenty of them. We should call them what they are and, and name their laws. Otherwise, we just give them power they don't deserve. And, and, and unless you attack your conscience with things that you don't need to attack your conscience with. Um, so you're still working out how to think on Christ's work, completely justifying and sanctifying me. Yeah, we all are. That's the rest of life. So Oswald Beyer, Living by Faith. Short book, very deep. Read one chapter a day. Take notes. Translate them, right? Oswald Beyer, Living by Faith. It's uh, it probably probably cost a lot for the size, um, but really going to be worth it. I mean, if you really want to think about the dance between justification and sanctification in faith, in faith, not by works, um, and yet not without works because works are good. Um, his book's going to be really helpful there. Um, bu- 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 uh, not using that as a license uh, with your sin. Yeah. And you definitely don't want to use things as a license. And that's always the fear. That's the reason 
why, if I go this way, no, that won't work. Uh, if, it's the reason why uh, we are generally unwilling to preach the gospel is fear that it will be used as licentiousness to justify whatever you want to do, right? Jesus sets you free from sin. Oh, there's no sin? Yep, there's no sin. Oh, I can do whatever I want then, right? No. And because that's a possible outcome and people do act on that, then you have people say, well, then we can't say that stuff about it, there being no sin, about all being completely forgiven. Um, you have to always hedge it a little bit. And so what they do is they take away the food that would feed the sheep in order to make the goat, you know, not go away, I guess. I don't, I don't know. You're trying to get the goat to be not a goat is what happens. So what we have to do instead is, and this shift a little bit here in the conversation, but we have to believe that the word of God is sufficient, that election is real, that God's almighty power is like a, is an invasion of light on the breath of words into the universe, and it will go into the ears of those who he is calling and, and bring them, drag them as living, rejoicing beings into a confessing, resurrected reality. And that that's already happening now by faith. That dance, that beautiful dance of walking by faith now, waiting for his return, knowing the victories here and yet not seeing it, again, can only be helped, I think, by your pondering of this book. But, okay, so what about hating your sin? Or what about what you're really talking about here is not how much do I have to hate my sin? What you're really talking about is repentance. So first off, if you have never read the book of Concord, I never heard about about it at all. Um, just hold on. I'll be back in a moment. Um, if you have, <laughs> if you have read the book of Concord and you have a copy near you, then the Augsburg Confession, Article 12 on repentance, and I believe the apology also would do you some good. Uh, spend some time just in those two documents. And the apology is significantly longer. And again, I'm going to tell you, you want to get better. You want to not just kind of walk around like a snowflake melting. Then you're going to have to do what I'm saying now. You got to get the book, you got to read these two documents, Article 12 of the Augsburg Confession and Article 12, I think, is, is the repentance one of the apology to the Augsburg Confession. Read it, take notes, translate your notes one time, and then your best questions, go ask your pastor your best question out of all of that. Just one. Say, I'll buy you a cup of coffee post-COVID. Uh, and uh, so, oh, actually, I saw, I saw two guys downtown last yesterday. It was great. They're uh, they're sitting in like like sports lawn chairs in the parking lot outside the coffee shop downtown, and I will have to definitely try that <laughs> at, at this point. But um, <clears throat> approach your pastor in a way that is socially acceptable at the current time and epoch in history, and and you know take take the cream of the questions that you get out of doing that, and I think the question will be answered for you. Now, you want me to just give it to you all here in a video. Um, You cannot, in your head, repent enough. You must instead believe that Jesus is enough. But you cannot believe enough that Jesus is enough. And so God just tells you, Jesus is enough. I said so. It's the gospel. And you believe it. And you're like, did I do that? And God's like, nope. Like, but I believe it. He's like, yep. What do I do now? Good stuff. I'm like, what? Like, you really don't know? Yeah, I really don't know. Okay, Ten Commandments. <laughs> right? Like, like, it's not rocket science. But what do I do when I fail the Ten Commandments? I'm still here. I'm God. I'm Jesus. I'm here for you. Uh, you're alive. I've forgiven you. Don't do it again. Try harder. Step up. Grow. Yeah, Grow. 
it's it's just it's not as black and white and you just can't expect the white noise to be silenced by a video you got to do some reading on this we are going to shuffle 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 the cars what do we got what do we got we have oh no i kid you not i pulled out the fundraising so there you go. The camera I'm using right now, right here, is a Q2N 4K Zoom handy video recorder. You bought it for me about a month ago, and it has been a fantastic game changer to the look of the show, among other things. And I already really would like a second one, and I'll tell you why. I want to have it set up so that there can be a downward shot, probably not on this spot, but another spot right over here that I can walk to in show, hit the camera, and be able to have you see stuff in front of me, whether it be a card like this that I'm writing on or some other document that we're working on together. So a second camera is needed for that to happen. Um, there's others, there's quite a bit else that's needed in terms of trying to get things that'll hold it up. But the first step is to get that camera. Um, and then I can jerry rig it for a while. Uh, so this camera runs just over $200 this morning. If, if I've looked correctly, we have seen either 40 or $50, uh, so far in super chats. So I'm going to ask you, um, um, uh, to to keep us going, I'm going to say, uh, so I can get some of the stuff that goes around it, as a total, can you help me raise $300 this morning? It's going to go to making sure we get the ability at some point to have you see what's going on with cards when I'm teaching all the T-Note stuff, when I'm teaching Bible text, kind of like Wolf Mueller's stuff from before, the uh, uh, grappling with the text. Um, that's what this is for. We're, if we can get to 300 bucks this morning, that'd be great. We want to try to get there. And to help us a little bit, um, after I do a question, I'm going to stop and fundraise every time until we get there, right? So we get less questions done if we don't get there. Um, and, uh, uh, we'll get as much as we can do. I really want to answer all the questions. It's just going to take us longer. So, and actually I don't want to do that at all. I hate fundraising. It's awful. Um, okay. So blah, 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 blah. We're going to look at, oh, I got some recs from you. Sweet. Here we go. Mm-mm, I really need to set this up the night before. Do, 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 do. I've known that for weeks now. <laughs> All right. There we go. Uh, Stacy, we got a couple from Stacy this morning. Stacy says this, uh, our church has been putting service online, Facebook Live, for members since COVID. Uh, and continues for people who still aren't comfortable coming now that we are meeting as a congregation again. Our interim pastor has been using his computer and has asked for suggestions for a better camera sound option. Do you guys have a group, as a group, any suggestions as to where we can begin looking? Thank you for all you do from Saturday Morning Chill to Mad Mondays and beyond. And, you know, frankly, Stacy, no. I mean... My journey in this has been uh, tinker and buy and look for wrecks and read what you can. And I've, it's just been a mess. Uh, you know, you can find videos of people recommending setups for studios and all this kind of stuff. And generally the best thing is, is people who have used something themselves, if you know them. So I can tell you that again, this Q2N, uh, 4,000 4k zoom handy video recorder is, is about this big. That thing is glorious. It's, it's, I mean, I've, I've used a number of web cameras over my life and this thing is by far the best. And for the price, it is, it is absolutely a step up from your standard webcam. Um, and so, uh, I'm sure there's others out there that'll like it. It's not the only one out there. There may be one that's cheaper. So I don't know, you know, I don't have, I don't have time to sift all the white noise just like you. So any of you out there that know more and would like to answer Stacy's question with a list of your own recs, we absolutely will not only take 
take that, we'll publish it. Uh, so if you want it, you know, send us your little list of how to set up a home studio and it can be part of the uh, Illuminati Only Need Apply segment of Mad Monday. So, you know, there it is. It's a resource for people who want that. that that's a great thing to put together. So if you got an answer for Stacy, send it to redfist.com slash contact. Attention Frisbee the Hand, R-E, what is it? Um, a Sound Studio Illuminati Rec. And uh, and we'll get an answer for you there, Stacy. hopefully in Mad Mondays. If you have not signed up for Mad Mondays, what are you doing? I mean, it's it's really, the show's neat. I like the show. The show's the monetary thing that moves everything, but Mad Mondays is like what we're doing. And, and the, the more that we do that, I mean, when I talked to Congressman Cabela about stuff, I talked about Mad Mondays. Um, I talked about this channel as well in the show because it's it's a thing, I know, but but the ch- the channel on its own, you know, in the future of the white noise, I don't know that we have the capacity to make this thing really compete with some of the controls that are going to be coming our way. But the Mad Mondays newsletter, that's outside their box, at least until they shut the internet off altogether. And there you can find everything from other videos to... Uh, 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 um, blah, 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 uh, from other videos about, you know, so if this got shut off YouTube, right on Mad Mondays, you'd be able to find where we're doing the next videos there, but you're getting so much more than just that. You're getting stuff from all over the world from you about what's going on on the ground data mining that impacts Christian worldview development. And then a commentary to boot with very little except my opinion, <laughs> which you're free to disagree with. And you know, and we want that and we embrace that. I mean, what more could you want? Mad Mondays is by far the best thing we're doing. So get us an answer to that. If you want to write up a piece for it, um, you don't get credit. You just get the glory of your name emblazoned into the white noise that will disappear in most people's spam filter after they stop reading the, no, actually <laughs> I can tell you we're doing great in terms of growth on the newsletter. This is all from the show. Shadow Broker's hard work. She read a book. She put it to practice. And the newsletter continues to be, the e-magazine, Mad Monies, continues to be on a marvelously promising trajectory. So again, be a part of it if you're not already. It's going to be one of our assets for doing stuff together, like world-altering stuff in the future. Um, all right. So sadly, I cannot yet talk about our on-the-ground reporter, Jen, and her Big Church COVID direct update because I must again fundraise. I am going to recognize that we got 10 bucks added by Michael Schuler here, uh, and we got 5 bucks from uh, B.R. Hodes, Rhodes, 49, so we're at 20 bucks there total. I'm going to go all the way back, so we have a running total from that point. 20, 30. Mm-mm-mm-mm. It's boring. I know, I know. Um, 20, I skipped one. So that puts it at 50. I think I skipped a 10, didn't I? Um, 10, five, five, 10, 50. What are we at here? I'm going to put, I'm going to put that, that put us at 70, right? Right there. You tell me. I commented. If fix that if it's wrong and we'll we'll keep going on the next one, but we gotta get to three hundred for me to stop talking about it. And if we never get there, then I buy it anyway out of my own pocket, right? But but <laughs> I'm gonna keep talking about it uh, until we get there. Right now we're gonna go to Jen, our Illuminati on the ground, somewhere in an undisclosed location, unless she discloses it. I don't know that I've read this entire thing in stark detail. I'm gonna have to get closer to my screen. <laughs> But what she's got for us here is a report on what it means to be in a big congregation during COVID and her just what they're seeing, what they're doing. So this is neither good nor bad. We're not here to promote someone's agenda at all. What we're doing is we're seeing what somebody's eyes see. We got a witness. We got we got news, right? News should not be what I think about what happened. News should be what happened. And well, here we go. So uh, since you mentioned, I got to move all this stuff up here. Since you mentioned, you can't even see my face. It doesn't matter. 
Mm. There we go. Uh, since you mentioned on the chill this morning that you wanted to hear how larger churches are navigating the reopening process, I thought I'd give my on-the-ground report. Awesome. Uh, I attend a fairly large LCMS church in Milwaukee area. Weekly worship attendance pre-COVID around 600. Which, okay, so the, why do I want to know this, by the way? I want to know this. Sorry, I'm moving, moving something. I want to know this because I'm concerned about us institutionally as a church body, and I want to know how our various demographic style churches, what I mean by that is, are you a church of 30 to 50? Are you a church of 100 to 300? Are you a church of 300 to 1,000? Are you a church of 1,000 to 5,000? They're all going to be impacted organizationally in vastly different ways by COVID. And so I'm curious how people are doing that because I want to I want to nitpick it, you know, this, that, or the other thing. I mean, I hope you're still having communion. But, but what I want to know is like, are we going to survive at certain levels, right? How many, how many brackets of church don't make it through this when we're talking about size? If you're a 30-person congregation with no pastor, you're probably going to survive this, uh, at least insofar as you can survive as a church without a pastor. Um, but, you know, if, if you're, that's what I want to know. So here you are, around 600 in attendance, which my guess would mean you're around 1,000 to 2,500 in membership. And that can really vary depending on the, the strategies and philosophies of the previous 30 years. Um, so, but it's never, you're never getting bigger than, than 50%. Uh, I'm, I don't think I've ever seen that in LCMS roster. Statistics. I'm sure there's a time and a place where it has existed, but you just got to, you know, the, the black swan is not the way you do business. So continuing on the actual report, then uh, my pastor and our church leadership value and encourage interpersonal connection and relationship building. So while we can't know everyone quite as well at a, as at a small church uh, would, I feel that we're fairly well connected for a congregation of our size. That's fantastic. Uh, our opening process. Uh, like most other churches, we live stream our services through the lockdown. This was new. We did not live stream prior to COVID, right? So you went through like the, the hoop jumping of putting together like like TV. <laughs> uh, I know how hard it is. You guys did that like a week and a half, right? Oof. Um, uh, but good for you. And, and a big team that's working together in an office can pull that off a lot easier than say one person, a pastor by himself. So if you had that capacity and could do it, that's great. And it kind of begs the question, why weren't you doing it before? Like all you do is put your service on YouTube and then just highlight the sermon, especially as a separate video. And like the whole world gets it at some point. Some guy in India is going to see it. You know, so why would you not do that? Yeah. So this is one of the nice like perk benefits of this. I don't think it's a solution to church uh, online, uh, but but I do believe that this is great, right? And so now you're stepping up. Into, our pastor also did live stream scripture readings and devotions three times a day. That's fantastic. Like, how could we get that going publicly as, you know, mad, mad Christian style? I've thought about that, like where you would have... You know, different people who are just lay people who are, have signed up, and we have a special channel. It'll probably be, I'm, I've been contemplating. Somebody said last time, you know, we needed a, um, oh, what's the one? It's not Slack. What's the one? Discord. Discord channel. So we get the Mad Christian Discord channel going, and we have someone who's there who's just going to mic in and lead devotions straight from the hymnal three times a day. Like, you could just get, you know, international prayer going really easy. Um, uh, did anybody in the network catch that? That was a good idea. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, this was awesome that your pastor was doing that. Um, it was a wonderful blessing. Yeah, that, that's the thing. But it, like, the amount of time that he was taking to do that, you know, to expect him to do that now out of, out of COVID, this is what you got to understand, too. Right? Like, that's so much time what he was doing. Um, so if he stopped, I understand why. And I, I, I don't know that everyone on the ground everywhere would understand why all pastors aren't doing that much all the time. Um, we need to kind of work together on it. Yeah, um, that's that's why we have 
institutions like a church body is because we can't all afford to do it. <laughs> yeah, but we can still do it together if we can find the right people who are good at it. You know, piggyback on it. Problem is money and you know personalities always get in the way of stuff. So. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, continuing on, we started having a pr- in-person services as soon as we were told that we could, which was June 6th and 7th. Uh, awesome. Uh, prior to COVID, I don't know where you guys are. See, that would help. Um, prior to COVID, we had a four weekly service times, uh, Wednesday night, three on Sunday. Now we have two. Yeah. One on Saturday night, one on Sunday morning. Our in-person attendance is nowhere close to what would have been prior to COVID. Yes, that's my fear. Um, my guess would be we're at about one quarter of pre-COVID attendance, so you don't have a recent numbers. Continue to live stream the Sunday morning service for people who are not able to attend due to health risks. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think you should keep that going no matter what, because now the cost, you've, you've done the cost of setting it up. That's the hardest thing. Now to just click run every week and you you know keep your channel going. And you know in a thousand years, people will be mining your stuff because it's the only thing that survived, right? And it's Christianity. I don't know. You know, Get it out there. We need more noise in the white noise. That's Christian noise. Um, so no reason to stop that. Anyway, uh, uh, the live scene ends before the Lord's Supper, which we are now celebrating weekly, uh, since resuming. That's fantastic. Yeah, right. And that's actually, it makes sense to stop the live stream before the Lord's Supper. Um, a lot. There's good ancient prior, uh, propriety in that. After the service, the offering of the Lord's Prayer, uh, Lord's Supper continues for an hour for people who didn't feel comfortable gathering physically with a large crowd of people, but desired community. Okay, cool. That's kind of like what we're doing. Oh, that's an interesting idea. If you flip it around, then you only have to consecrate once. But but then they don't get to hear the consecration might be my my concern. We're, but we're kind of doing doing that too, though. So cool. That's good. That's good thinking. Um, uh, my, my, I think my question is still a good question uh, about, you know, do people get to hear the consecration? But um, it's good thinking. Uh, people have been encouraged but not required to wear masks, and people who choose not to are asked to sit in one area of the sanctuary together. Okay, well, that makes sense too. Um, uh, God, the, the mask thing, we'll come back to that. There's just so much diversity on that continuing. It just won't end. Um, it is astounding to me how many churches in this area, ELCA and others, have chosen not to resume meeting together. I know, huh? Isn't that crazy? They already got money. I think the, the old, old mainline churches have enough money for the pastor in the building. They don't really need you to be there. They just need you to like, I don't know, give them some more money. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't get it. They've chosen not to resume despite being given the okay with the government to do so. Well, then they're also generally those mainline churches are progressive fronts, you know, that, so they're just going to mimic whatever fear factor is being created by the media uh, for the sake of November. Right. It's just what they're going to do. Uh, I'm thankful for the LCMS in general. Yeah. And, and my congregation in particular are prioritizing gathering together for worship and the supper. Amen to that. Yeah. Amen to that. I just wanted to answer your call for open reopening dates. Um, yeah. So I'm curious, and this would be, you know, not everyone wants to always go public with this, but the reason I find this to be important is because when you're only bringing back a quarter of your worship attendance and you know, you know, people don't give when they're gone generally, or you know that even though some do, it's a different dynamic and definitely a different percentage of income. So to try to run an organization on purely internet, Look, you give me five bucks a month, right? <laughs> Maybe a little bit more. And some of you helping me fundraise, which I really, really appreciate that. Uh, but like, that's a different thing, like, like entirely from what it takes to keep a building open and to keep a staff of five going. Like, it's just, this is a whole nother world. Um, I believe the numbers are, and I'm pulling this out of entrepreneurial stuff, but the numbers are if you have 1,000 people committed to following your information, right? So let's just apply this to mad Christianity. If I have a thousand people on Patreon supporting me, I can survive like on my own without another job, assuming Patreon doesn't go fascist and cut me off. Right. Okay. So, so you need a thousand people to support one kind of 
lifestyle or sole breadwinner income individual, um, generally speaking, giving money at internet levels. Now, what does that translate into for a formerly 600 member, thousand, or 600 attendance, thousand member congregation that is built as a community center, is built generally as a, as a building that is maintained and is costly in maintenance for the sake of things like sports and recreation and gatherings and all this kind of stuff, which now may or may not be available, right? And how much are people going to just kind of keep giving to that over a year or three if this kind of thing continues? Yeah. And uh, so if you're a leader in that scenario, I'm not, I'm not mad at you. I f- I'm, I'm, I'm worried. I, I hope that you're thinking about these things um, and looking at, you know, whatever congregation you're in, leader or otherwise, uh, that you're, you're paying very close attention to those financial numbers, because I think they'll tell you um, more right now than your worship numbers. It was historically, you watch the worship numbers, but I think we're in a bit of a wild card moment where what regular attendance looks like is being re um, redrawn by the world, right? Uh, and maybe even limited by, uh, what was it, the Supreme Court yesterday? Yeehaw! So apparently you can gather for like sports, but you can't gather for a church in Nevada where there's a law against having more than 50 people gather together. But you can do other stuff there that anyway, um, it's amazing. Gorsuch just, just dissented. Uh, you can check my Twitter feed. I retweeted it, the snapshot of his descendants, one paragraph. Uh, it's just straight up. And it's, it's incredible uh, that the Supreme Court could do that. But we've, we've talked about this before. We have two issues here. We've got a bunch of kings that run the world in a different class, different social class. It's, it's a dystopic destruction of the world under like a failed, the failed monarchy of Britannia has become the Puritan city on a hill of, of, you know, feminist, uh, I don't know, Marxist agendaism. I don't even know. I mean, it's just, it's just a sweeping thing way over there in this group of people who aren't in my life and my world. And I know there's a few Lutherans out there paying very close attention to it. There are Lutherans in the, the military being very affected by it. But I also know again, that, that decision by the Supreme Court way over there and impacting people way over in Nevada is only secondarily as important as the actual laws to my congregation and its financial capacity to get through the year and the next three years. <laughs> Those things matter significantly more to all the members of the congregation that I serve, as much as all the stuff around matters as well. This is where I think the mutual consolation of the brethren that the Lutheran Layman's Local Action Network can provide is is a good thing. So you like you know what's going on, but you also are preparing for where you are and encouraged by what's going on where other people are. All right. So with that said, if you like that, um, I got a fundraise, and look how wonderfully I spelled fundraise. Um, I want to say fundraiser, I think, and I just left it off. Is that right though? I got a B minus in spelling, and it's always plagued my conscience. Let's see here. Isn't that sad? I was I was one of those kids. I know. I'm sorry. And if you knew me, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I need a camera like this one so I don't have to do this. And I can do this. And you can see it, although it might be over there. Um, it costs, uh, but by the time I get it all put up and with things hanging to hanging on the ceiling, it's going to cost me at least 300 bucks. So it's a QN2 4K handy video recorder. And I have to keep talking about it until we get over $300 this morning um, in between all the other questions I'm doing. The question is, do we have a total so far, guys? Anybody on the side tracking that? I can spend time tracking it. Or you can give me a total by the next time I got a... I got to stop. That'd be real great. Otherwise, I'll have to go track it down and add it up myself. The end of experts. I like this question. I like this comment. Oh, the masks, though. I don't like this, though. The masks, the masks. Here they come. 
So uh, Jonathan sends this one in. Mm-mm-mm. Come on now. There we go. And it's a snapshot of Twitter. And it looks on Twitter to be... Here, I can see my... Oh, sorry. That'll be back in a second. Come back here, you. Like this. I'm just going to hide for a second. You can see... Is the Twitter handle of uh, JCH0710, Jonathan. I'm going to assume that's who this is from. And it looks like he's retweeting or quoting something in a tweet from Senator, right? Dr. Scott Jensen, MD. And he says this. He says an N95 mask filters out particulate matter larger than 0.3 microns. So the question then is how big is COVID? A COVID particle? A COVID particle is about 0.1 micron this idea of uh people are doing anything particularly useful with dot 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 a mask is just looney tunes again senator doctor is it senator i don't even i'm not used to seeing that formulation so i don't want to be be wrong uh publicly here but uh dr scott jensen md okay so here you have a doctor who is saying on twitter uh publicly that the masks aren't going to help with COVID at all and here's what i got to say like well you know Join the club. I mean, not not join the club of believing that. Just join the club of making more noise. I mean, yeah, sure. I don't know. What do you want me to say? Is he right? Is Fauci right? Is somebody else right? Uh, what do you want me to say? It's the end of experts. You can't trust anybody. You just, you just can't. I mean, I don't know. What am I supposed to do? As soon as I say, oh, I trust that, I'm going to get excoriated by somebody else who has some other news thing from some other doctor. Who says they're right. And so I'm, I'm taking a different tact here. I mean, we could just go straight up like radical alt-right. I don't, I don't think that's what we are, those Lutherans. Mm. We're out of water. Oh, that's sad to me. We're out of coffee. What we are as Lutherans oh, is not radical alt-right. What we are as Lutherans is careful thinkers. People who are patient. People who know what it means to endure a little suffering from time to time. People who are willing to believe that the men over them are sinners and that those men sometimes lie. And that when they're caught in the lie, you no longer really have to believe either of them, but neither should you tell everyone else they have to believe you. And so you walk very carefully together, trying to figure out best as you can tell from where you are. And I don't mean just internationally and certainly not on Facebook, (laughs) Um, but you know, when you have leaders of an organization, say the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod, if the DPs are talking to each other, like that's an important thing for, I mean, our system's not really built to get information out, but you know, it is what it is. It's important to have experts in your community as well. People you trust, people you know, people who've shown themselves to be upstanding. Look at a man, not what he says, but the the wake that he's left behind, uh, behind him. Um, that's what you want to go to. You know, who, what, what does your doctor say if you actually have a conversation with your doctor and say, tell me what's really going on, doctor? Yeah. And when they convey to you that they don't know either, then you just got to do the best you can do. And so if you live in a state where the government said, please wear masks, now wear masks. And especially if you're going to go to a store where the store says, please wear masks, well, just wear a mask. And are they fascist? Maybe. Are they communist? Maybe. I don't know. I can buy stuff from communists. I ready to do it every time I shop on Amazon, don't I? I'm going to slow that down, by the way, big time. Haven't, haven't talked to the honey yet, but um, Amazon, this is my last year on Prime. I'm just going to tell you right now. Last year, done. Done with you. Uh, you can run the world without me, and uh, you go fight 
yeah, whatever. So there's some good things on Amazon and there'll be times when I use Amazon because I know the choice, but I will do everything I can to use anybody but Amazon as soon as my prime account is used up. Is that hypocritical? Should I do it now? It's more about funneling money. It's not, it's not actually about some like, like virtue. I just don't want to pay them. I want to put the money here into Rockford if I can. I'm going to do everything I can to spend more on stuff because it's from Rockford or from near Rockford. And I, I think while I may have less things, I think the things I buy will be better things. Call me crazy. Call me crazy. The end of experts. So what about the masks? Hold on. We got another one. Let's get all the masks out at once. Here we go. Mask cubed. Let's find her. Where is she? This is H. Hmm. How's the chill as a whole coming together? It's the chorus. It's the tragic chorus from Greek epic. Okay. Ashley says, are we living in fear by wearing the mask or make the other person feel better by wearing a mask? Well, all of the above, right? And more, I would think. And David says this, I have been, uh, I've seen people literally say it goes against their religion to wear a mask. That's interesting. Uh, you could make the case from Christianity in a really unique scenario. It'd be kind of fun to imagine it, which is why I'm doing it. Like it would have to be where they're like, wear the mask as a sign that you don't believe in Jesus and you won't get killed now. And you're like, okay, I'll wear the mask. Like at that point, now your religion has been broken by you. You have gone against your religion by wearing a mask. But by a large you don't actually break the religion. It doesn't go against the religion to wear a mask. It, it might be unwise. It might be unloving, uncharitable. There's all sorts of things it could be, but there's no like thou shalt mask or thou shalt not mask. It, it, it's it, an adiaphora is the old word. The old word adiaphora means little one way or the other is the idea. You know, the Bible doesn't really say on this matter. So like, don't fight about it. You know, Christians like get over yourselves. It's not, it's, it's earthly. It's worldly. Are you worried about death again? You know, that's a worldly thing to do. Uh, isn't it funny? Huh. David goes on. I have seen people literally say it goes against their religion to wear a mask. Oh, oh yeah. Sorry. And I go on. Uh, sorry. Citing. This is a, a, a typo here with a C, right? Citing. They cannot spread love and that Jesus went against authority. So we have every right to do so as well. That's look. Anytime someone says Jesus and so in in one sentence and they don't take the time to like, Go a little more into detail. And maybe the conversations you're in, they're not saying it this way and you're just summarizing it poorly. That's fair. That may be fair. However, I've heard this done before enough, like over 30, 40 years of American evangelicalism, where it's like, well, Jesus fished, so we need to do this, right? And, and we just we just try it. We make up stuff. Text for a pretext from earlier. We just make up stuff in the name of Jesus uh, because he, he went against authority. So Jesus goes against authority once, and so therefore all mankind has the right to go against every authority ever whenever they want to throw a tantrum. So we shouldn't even tell our kids, no, we just let them throw fits all day long. And yes, that's actually what they teach people to do these days. Oh my goodness. Sorry. I, none of my business. I, just because I have the cup. I love these cups. These cups my wife bought. Oh, can I get on there? She bought two because they're a little expensive. They're from Target. Target. Which also, I don't like to shop there generally, but they're these people that are from Waco who do stuff. You probably know. I don't know them really. She likes them and the cup's awesome. So they do inspire me through her, which is awesome too. Uh, so it, it, it baffles you, David. You'd like to hear me have a take on masks again, which I'd, I'd do a quick video about uh, about it. Well, I mean, I did talk about it like a lot last week, didn't I? And, um, or am I missing something? You're just, just, 
Just the idea about Jesus and what would Jesus do? Would Jesus wear a mask? Oh, that's just such a weird question. Um, I'm going to tell you Jesus would never wear a mask, but that has no ability to give you a reason to not wear a mask. Because that's not what Jesus said. He didn't say, I, didn't, I, I have the power to never wear a mask. It's just like, He-Man, the power of gray skull. And you're like, I get it too. No, no, you don't. You're not He-Man. <laughs> you know? You're cringer over there, if that. Uh, uh, so, Jesus would not wear a mask because when Jesus touches viruses, they die. Like he would, like people would come up and they would like, like touch his cloak and have internal surgery occur to stop hemorrhaging, lifelong hemorrhaging. I'm pretty sure if he breathed in your face, he wasn't passing you COVID, <laughs> right? So, so Jesus would not wear a mask because he's God. And that sounds pedantic, I suppose, but while we run around Chicken Little all the more, and again, without flesh, I wrote a book just about that. Stop thinking the ship is sinking. The ship ain't sinking. The institutions might. Ship won't. We run around like Chicken Little afraid of all of this. And, and we don't have to be. Because our Lord Christ is risen from the dead. And so now... Can I believe, do I believe now that because he's in charge of all things and if he breathed on me in the face, I couldn't get COVID from him, that now, therefore, I can't get COVID? No, I don't believe that at all. I'm not sure I'm af afraid of COVID anymore. I feel like I, I'm duty-bound to be more afraid of it than you are for the sake of those people who are afraid. <laughs> but, but I'm increasingly not. And all the news from the start kind of has said I shouldn't be. And the only reason I really am is because all the other news – is saying I should be. And it seems more and more that it's all just about November, like no matter what. And that makes me care less about listening to what they say about it and more about going back and looking at what are all the things they said already, writing them down, comparing and contrasting the changing narrative. And I'm just not as afraid of COVID. I'm a little nervous about mobs not a big fan of federal intervention, although if you look at the law for the federal intervention, it actually is already legal, and Obama had the same powers and did a bunch of stuff. You can always check out how much Obama did with his powers. That's fun, those numbers. On every level, the, the pardons, the pardons alone is the best part. I mean, just unbelievable. Anyhow, and I don't know. I, who was the guy that got pardoned a week ago? I mean, maybe he didn't deserve to be pardoned. Fine. I don't care. But, like, just the numbers. Just the numbers by themselves. So, masks. So here I am. I'm not really afraid anymore, but I still have fear because I know people who, who are afraid and I care for them like as their pastor. And so I feel they're fair with them. And so I am afraid. Every level of non-fear is countered by an equal level of fear on behalf of those who, if I'm wrong, might die, <laughs> you know? And so it's, I love these people, you know? So, so my goal would be then to not harm them and, and certainly not to harm their conscience because they think they might die. So where's the line? What's the place? Well, the place is, again, it's not a universal one way or the other. It's who are you talking to? What are you dealing with? So when I met with a friend of mine to do some business recently, let's leave it all undisclosed for the moment, but this person is uh, in, a, in a demographic that is not safe. 
um, or, or is it higher risk, I should say, but not super high risk, but higher risk. Um, well, we did not mask because this person did not mask. And this person's been openly going to restaurants where people don't mask in a different state, which you can do when you live in the northern west corner of Illinois. So, um, you know, and so and was I, what about me, though? Do I catch it? We'll see. My goal is not to keep me from catching it. I don't, I'm not worried about that. I'll have to stop meeting with people if I do. What if you become a carrier, Pastor? Well, really? Like so, the rest of our lives, pastors have to wear masks when they. It's, it's, you just end up in a rabbit hole, where we're not alive anymore. And the scary thing to me continues to be how much this aligns with actual fascist action, how much it looks like. I mean, the stormtroopers. I mean, you know, Star Wars stormtroopers were modeled after the Nazis, and all you got to do is watch some of this Antifa stuff. And it, I mean, it's. And yeah, does the, is the American military there, military there too? Yeah, right. We pay those guys to protect us. Are they attacking us? I don't know. And again, so then, then this morning I saw um, uh, a Twitter feed. I, I'm following the Portland stuff close because I'm from there. I was born there. Uh, I, I love the Trailblazers still, or I did, although I might be done with pro sports. Uh, just kneel, kneeling. And just, just, I don't, I don't want to pay you anymore. Thanks. I don't need, I don't need you to preach to me anymore. I don't need it. I have enough of the world preaching without that. So, um, I, I follow the porn stuff cause I care about the, the land a great deal. And there was a thread on Twitter this morning of, you know, show us local stuff going on in Portland that you've actually taken. And it was incredible. You had people like showing like burning violent mob stuff. And you got people saying, Oh look, the view from my apartment is beautiful on this morning over the river. I don't see any riots anywhere. And it, the, the most stunning thing about it to me is like, so does that mean that the other stuff going on in the, in the, in Portland wasn't happening? Right. So since it's safe where you are, does that mean it's safe? Right. The internet just isn't real if it's a, a block away. So, you know, if I was in Portland right now, I, I'd move, you know, on my, on the mass question, I'm on the mass question. If I was in, in Portland, I would really think about moving. Um, as a pastor, I'd be asking the people when they're moving so I can prepare to shut the congregation down or how we're going to defend it, right? How are we going to gird up our loins to endure the dark ages which are upon us? It is a whole other thing. And so there's like masks, no masks. I mean, whatever. It's, it's just like a whole different thing. Now, at the same time, is it all over the city? No, it's not. But it's an identity issue. And clearly the city is in support of this identity issue. And the Supreme Court just gave them the power to stop you from ever meeting again in more than 50 people if they want to. They just have to pass a law. I mean, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. This is not about me saying they're trying to do this. I'm just saying, look what's happening. So masks. You wear the mask until your community decides not to wear the mask. What does that mean? Well, start with your family. <laughs> talk to your pastor. Keep talking to your pastor. Don't do it once to so get mad. Keep talking to your pastor. Talk to your elders. Elders, talk to your pastors. Talk to your doctors. Talk to your local area. Keep reading. Keep watching. Keep listening. Are there different times? Yeah. We cannot prescribe a agenda for you on this. And you you should know that anyway. I mean, that's why it failed. That's why the big government always fails. They can't see on the ground enough to know what really needs to be going on. If you've got acres and acres between you and your neighbors, I mean, it's not even a question. And if your church and the people there are just never leaving town, I mean... What's the issue? So again, we cannot, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm on this because I'm frustrated by it because I want to give you a better answer. It's, it can only feel 
disorienting to see this kind of stuff right next to Fauci, who's still, you know, throwing out the first pitch like he hasn't even lied, like he shouldn't be impeached, reprimanded, fired. I don't know what it is. He's throwing out the first pitch like he's never played baseball. I know he's an older man, but just underhanded, man. Jeez. I mean, if you, if you didn't watch that, it'd be, <laughs> then good for you. <laughs> um, but, but then, like, what do you do with this? So here's a doctor saying this. He's not the only one. There's others that have been saying this. And someone says, you know, well, you're not a scientist. You can't really understand these. I'm sorry. I, I, I've had enough of, of doctors um, do things to me that I didn't need done. And they weren't major, you know, prescriptions um, that I didn't need done to, to just not just assume that they're really. I've also had enough conversations with doctors who do and doctors who don't. They're not all even reading anymore. This is scary. That's a scary thing. Practicing medicine without knowing what's going on today. That's how Garfield died. Whole country didn't do it. So thank you, those of you who are... Whole country didn't use... Uh, what was it? It wasn't penicillin. It was basically virus, bacteria killer, early... Ah, and, and a, mm, 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 anesthetic? Not anesthetic. Anyway, great book, Destiny of the Republic. It's about Garfield's death. It knows more than I do. Really worth your time. Fundraising rise. I need a new camera so I can keep seeing things down here on the screen, showing them to you. Do more fun stuff. It's going to be about 300 bucks. We're trying to raise that this morning, and I'm looking for a total uh, so that we can know where we are because I want to stop talking about it once you've actually helped me get there. We've been moving. We were at 120 at one point, and then we have... 140 coming in total, uh, go to uh, one uh, rounding up from the 1999 to 160, uh, another 50 coming. That puts us at 210. So that'll get us the camera. But like I said, 300, I really would like to have it be mounted and safe and have an arm on it and all this. So to get us to 300, at least start that nest egg part. Um, and if we get to 300, I'll stop talking about it. We still got more questions here, quite a few. Um, this one's a shorter one. I might just give it to you for free even. Uh, it's a deep recommendation burm, 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 burm. this i have everything like in the wrong place for doing this live area meditatio writes in and says this special physics i think you would enjoy deep work by cal newport yeah i probably would um i i have listened to cal newport talk uh, i think believe he was interviewed on tim ferris i have followed the concept of deep work since tim ferris did introduce me to it and it doesn't take a lot of convincing to believe the idea that long stretches of time where you're uninterrupted lead to more interesting and in fact productive work i don't think you know um you need a a degree to figure that one out. Uh, although you kind of do because the white noise has convinced us that digitizing everything is going to make it better. Very hard to get deep work done on a computer. You can, but it's hard. In any case, so the rec, yeah, totally. Um, I, I have it because on my agenda now for reading, um, I'm happy to wreck it to others, but uh, on my agenda now for reading are very particular items that are geared toward very particular publications over the next 30 years of my life. I, like, I, hit, I hit 40, I know I'm going to die, and I'm only going to have so many books in me before I'm done, and I am a writer at heart, so okay, here's my agenda. And everything that I'm going to read is going to flow into those things uh, and not start new books, <laughs> uh, which new topics tend to make me want to do. But here's some from Deep Work that I'm sure this is just quality, quality stuff. He says this, quote, uh, and this is quoted from... Uh, I'm not going to start mocking Amazon yet, but um, oh, we got to come up with a name for them. Uh, Googleplex. It's the Google's on. There, there was a video, by the way, tangent. There was a video called uh, the Google Google's on. 
Google's on. And it was it was put out, oh man, that had to be 2003, maybe. And it's about how over time Google and Amazon become a global hegemony that runs the universe. And uh, it's really cool. And it's kind of scary because not only back then was it sort of like, oh yeah, I could see that, but it's actually... We've taken steps toward this thing being real compared to it just being an idea, right? Back then, it was like, oh, Google says don't be evil. That's their main motto. <laughs> yeah. And the devil's main motto, too. Not kidding. Uh, okay, so here, here's here's from Deep Work and Amazon. Ah, ah. Deep Work is the ability to focus without distraction on a cognitively demanding task, right? So, example. I have something on a card that I've written. I want to write it on a different card. I start thinking about it. I begin to put my pen to paper and then the phone sends a text message. Ding. My eyes go away for half a sec. I come back and I have a less clear thought than I did before. It's that simple. And it's constant. The more you have ding, 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 anywhere ever, the less clear decision-making you can make. The more each decision will drain your battery for decision power, your decision fatigue will just amass more quickly in those environments. If you're an introvert, this will happen all the more. Extroverts can be out and have a lot of inputs and not necessarily be drained from it. However, every time an input causes you to make a decision, it, it will gradually drain you. And so the distractions of bouncing here and there and here and there, every fire that salts and other chemicals in your brain that you need to eat every day, uh, being used up and, and, and part of the, the, the process of thinking. And most of what you eat, did you know this? Like the majority of what you eat powers your brain. Uh, so in terms of energy level, it's, it's just, it's just a, you're like, how am I getting fat? Well, that's a different question, but, uh, it, your brain is a massive, massive energy burner and it takes all this physical chemical reality to go through this thinking. And every time you start a process and stop it, you have to re go down those processes and you build that up over three to eight hours and you have, you have, uh, compounding distinctions in what you're able to achieve. Compounding. Now, if you don't know what I mean by compounding, what I mean is that the result is added to the first part and then you do it again, right? So compounding interest means I earn 10% and you're never going to get, well, you can, but it's hard to get 10%. It's easy numbers. I got 10% interest on my investment. And so now instead of a dollar, I have a dollar 10. I invested again at 10% interest. Now instead of a dollar 10, I have a dollar 21. You're like, that doesn't seem like much. You're like, yeah, right now it doesn't. And then like over here it goes and it flies the other way. And so anything you can do that has a compounding rate is going to be good for you. That's what smart noting, T noting is, is compounding the rate of your thinking. It's completely cool. You just got to try it. It doesn't even matter what you do with it. Throw it away afterwards. Just try it. Who would have thought? Here I am, 2020, and I'm pitching to you as my sales pitch, write stuff down. <laughs> no, not on your computer. Write it down and then translate it. Write it one more time. That Your computer doesn't let you do this, right? And then it vanishes in the aether. What you need is for it to sit with some other stuff for a while and gel before you put it into the aether. It goes in the aether eventually, but you need it, you need it in front of you. Write it down. It will help you think. Okay, deep work. Again, so, so being distracted, <laughs> right? Um, does not let you then continue those thoughts upon thoughts upon thoughts that would lead you over, say, two hours to something you never would have thought of, ever. But since you had two hours to deal with other resources, whether it's reading or some other thing, now you've pondered yourself into something actually creative and ingenuitive, right? And that humans are just built to do this. We do it all the time naturally. And we're always kind of, what do we call it, fiddling 
right? Um, or tinkering. Like we all just kind of do it somewhere or we did until we just got too tired and can only sit and let them download more information into our brainwashing, right? Um, so, you know, deep work is turning off that. It's saying, I'm going to try any kind of work that's undistracted and see what happens for a while. It's a glorious idea. Um, so with that said, he goes on, I'm just talking my stuff now. Uh, it, most people, whether knowledge workers, that's people who work in information management, people work with words, which is the majority of white collar work, um, Knowledge workers in noisy, open plan offices or creatives struggling to sharpen their vision have lost the ability to go deep. Yes. Spending their days instead in a frantic blur of email and social media. Yes. Uh, not even realizing there's a better way. Yes. Um, and why, why am I not reading this book? Because I know this and it's so true and it preaches the gospel. I don't need to learn this now. You, maybe others do, right? This is just true. If you're a creative and your job is to create and you're in an office environment where there's a lot of distractions, you're just going to be less creative and don't get mad at yourself. Don't hate your life. Work there. It's fine. Just know like you're going to be frustrated by your outputs, not being what you think they could be. And the reason for that is there's too many distractions straight up, right? Um, and that, that's it. And this is, this is just a first article reality. It's neither good nor bad. Maybe what you're doing in those distractions is more meaningful and real than what you think you're going to create. That's so awesome, right? So just because you're creative doesn't mean that you're going to create good. Maybe you're going to create great evil and the office work is there to keep us all from taking over the world. It's like the new Babel. You know, I don't know. Um, it seems that way in some, in some ways, but, but it, you know, if, if you're struggling in certain types of environments to feel like I'm achieving what I want to achieve for the day, there is no question that the single greatest inhibitor is how many things that are not you are saying, I need this from you today. And it can be as simple as, did you see this? There's 20 five notifications on your blah, blah, blah app that you just downloaded. Ah, you know, I mean, it's, and, and how can you have a coherent thought in the midst of all that? You know, that's what stop the white noise is going to be about when we get to it. I, um, let me finish this and I'll make a service announcement on that one. So um, put simply, uh, developing and cultivating a deep work practice is one of the best decisions you can make in an increasingly distracted world, and this book will point the way. Agreed completely with the concept. I don't think you need the book. I think you just need to write it down and then write it down again. I know it sounds so silly. It's like, this, this sounds really easy. Yeah, it's magic. Your brain has something happen between your first draft and your second draft that is, again, compounding and exponential. And you just start applying that to, you know, what did I think about that? You know, how was that movie? Three sentences. You don't need to do like a book. You know, three sentences. Well, what, what did I learn? Why? What did that TV show? I just watched this. I just watched blah, blah, hoo-hoo, talk on TV about this, that. Right? Write it down. How did I feel? What was it compared to yesterday? Those three questions alone. I mean, honestly, part of me feels like a crank talking about brainwashing. I was worried about being brainwashed by the TV when I was a young man, like in my teenagers, teenage years. And, and I, I kind of like pondered, is it possible? Is it possible that, you know, 19, I think I had read 1984, right? I'm like, oh, is it possible this is actually what's going on right now? Is that, in fact, Big Brother is watching me through this screen right here? Actually, you are, right? Uh, so, uh, <laughs> uh, but, you know, somehow it's like in every room and it, it's eerily similar to 1984, growing up in the 90s and 2000s was, especially the encroaching internet uh, phenomenon and all that. And so you start to like, like wonder, you know, what's going on? Is it, and you're like, no, it's not brainwashing. Everybody's normal. Uh, it's not possible. And, you know, and, and all the Christians are fine with TV and, you know, it's all fine. All right. Like, I don't really disagree with that still. But here's, here's my thing. I mean, it's always been a, 
it's a hobby of mine to study media ecology. I don't know that I'm the media ecology guy or that I'm an expert on media ecology, but I find it really interesting. I like to be understood and I like to understand driving factors in who I am as a person, more important than looking good or feeling strong. I want to be understood and I want to understand. So I'm always seeking to understand through communication. Well, that's media. So the environment in which communication happens, that's media ecology, is just like my most native driving in, in thing that I do, right, as a person. And thank God, the Word of God is media, right? And so it's, it's become something I'm in love with as a medium, this word preached, and all this. But then asking the questions about media ecology, studying things like Marshall McLuhan's work um, and, and others connected to it, although not, not as deeply as you could go in, in the, uh, the official channels of that, but having that stuff kind of be part of my life as I ask, what is this screen doing to me? And now you're probably having a very different life with the talking box, uh, the white noise box than I did. Um, there's more going on. So you have it like all the time in your phone. If you're a young person right now that I, I never would have phones were not like that at all. Um, but I certainly had it in almost every room in the house and on more often than off. And now, so here is this, this thing that we know scientifically is colorized to appear to you and appeal to you and act on you in the same way that finding food in the forest does. It's got that kind of power on your retinal and your, your mind system that when you look at it, you cannot look away. And all I got to do is put a kid in a room with the TV and you can see this is obvious as day is long. Um, so so uh, th we have this thing that does that, that it is effectively a mental drug, like watching a sunset. It makes you feel good, right? Just, just the light colors um, coming at you. And so you have that going on. And then they engage it with not only the ability to, to talk and, and move and look like images of God himself, because Jesus is a man after all, right? Uh, and to look like images of authority and power and understanding, and then to put words with it that you can hear and put music behind it that can make you feel a certain way, whether you want to or not, and then to run it 24-7 over all of us, and we're going to say it's not brainwashing? I just don't get it. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm sorry, everyone else out there. I'm in the LCMS. I'm a pastor. You can watch TV all you want. I won't tell you you don't have to. I'm done. <laughs> I might watch a few movies here and there, um, but we're going to, we started a new habit in our house. Uh, this I've, I've been way diligent on, the, uh, undiligent, that's the wrong word, not diligent, way negligent on this one. Um, my wife's been very good about reading to the kids. I've done it on and off, but we started and we're not going to stop The Count of Monte Cristo. And I cannot wait uh, to read this very slow powerful, amazing story. Um, I cannot wait. Movie? Bah, yeah, we're going to read it. And does that mean we're never going to watch a movie again? No. We're going to be selective about what we watch, and I'm going to stop just bringing new movies in for no reason. We're going to go back and watch old movies that are good movies that we know tell us who we are. Stop letting the world pitch to me change. It's changed enough. I'm going to stick with what my parents, my grandparents, my grandfather's church knew. Yeah? You with me on that one? Uh, speaking of all these things, mm -mm -mm, let's go straight to, well, 
I'm going to be nice because I said that one would be short. We haven't moved uh, from $210 since the last one, so I'm not going to be nice. I'm going to talk about how I need you to help me super chat our way up to a new camera for this morning. This will help me have a second camera for the, the show. It will allow me to do stuff in front of you with my hands and my writing. I think this is pretty important to both the theological and the information management media ecology work that you come here to get. Um, so... Uh, we've got enough, I think, to get the camera, maybe not with tax, um, and we need to get a little bit more, so I have some cash to play with in order to get the thing mounted. Um, we want to make sure that it's taken care of. So we're sitting at 210, and I'm going to keep at least interrupting with fundraising commercials until uh, until otherwise. But fascism's in the air again. I've tried to start talking about Marxism more, since apparently when I talk about fascism, it only confuses people. Everything I know about fascism, I think I learned from Chris Roseborough. He, at one point, was working on doing a doctorate in understanding fascism and its impact on the church growth movement, which is a pretty interesting thing to begin with. Um, I don't know where he's in on that now, but I remember interviewing him with World of Everlasting way back in the day, and we got, we got in the weeds quite a bit, I think. The main thing I took away from that was what I thought was the best way to understand fascism is what he told me fascism is, is that it's what the word means. And the word fascism is a just an Italian word. It doesn't mean anything in English. It's the Italian word for a bundle of sticks. So we could walk around and talk about bundle of stickism. This is where Roseboro's right, though. Every single community church that popped up in America did so because they are bundle of stickism churches. Uh, they are, in fact, uh, applying some of the fascist, fascist propaganda ideology uh, that arose uh, under the course and influencing the Nazi regime, but not only the Nazis, which basically was to understand that if you want the bundle of sticks, then they all have to face the same direction. You can't have a bundle of sticks when they're all facing different directions. So all the people have to line up going the same way, and then there will be a fasci, there will be a community. And fasciism is simply the belief that the only way that happens is through a strongman, that a man must pick up the bundle of sticks and put them in order and simply do it. And if you're going to let Nietzsche influence this, then it means he must do it against the will of the sticks uh, because he's the great man. And I think that really summarizes just about everything we see from every political corner these days. It's not really call, fair to call anybody fascist as if everybody isn't. Uh, and yet, at the same time, when I look at you know, Antifa, when I look at other organizations, uh, platforms, Bernie, um, it's hard for me to see the difference between communism and fascism as I define fascism as being a fasci, that you have a bundle of sticks that has to go one direction. If you want to have that that bundle of sticks not only be a community, but thrive with a, com a communal workload, that's kind of what communism then tries to do out of the fasci. Um, you stay, well, it's never worked before, not well anywhere, so I don't know why you'd want to try now, but... Um, it's a different question, right? Um, what's the real threat right now? Is the real threat that we would have a a government which is going to bring about a paradise on earth by taking control of every business, that's communism, uh, or is the bigger fear that the general narcissistic epidemic means that we're all fascists at the end of the day, if by fascism we mean that the strongest survives and makes a bundle of sticks, and that's proof that he's right, and that that's the way almost everything's being done. And that's what I meant in my conversation the other week when I said, and I got this from uh, from um, Dan Carlin again in his uh uh, supernova in the East, uh, Japan, World War II stuff. 
uh, I'm going to lose it from, from the, the going all the way back to that. Um, oh, crud. I lost that one. Uh, oh no, that's it. The, the Hitler, he proposes the Hitler won, not because he won. I mean, his troops didn't win. He died. It was quite awful, but his ideology that you must beat strength with strength. That's fascism. Um, that the evolutionary approach to mankind, survival of the fittest, that that is, that's the way the globe should operate. That's fascism. Whether you call it that or not, it's getting all the sticks in the same order by a strong man. And I'm not a big fan of that. So, so anyway, these questions though, now are dealing with this realm, right? So, and they're going to, they're going to challenge me a little bit here. So here is, uh, Natalie says this, I have a grade school book to explain fascism versus communism. Fascists are bigots by ethnicity where communism just wants to control everything and end the rich. Um, so cool children's book. I, I don't know though, where in the historical documentation we see that the fascists, even though they were bigots, um, were built on a platform of bigotry as the meaning of fascism itself. You certainly can see how, if you're going to take the approach to fascism and you've got to get a bunch of sticks together in the same direction, if they all look the same and are shaped the same and think the same and talk the same, you know, a tribe, um, a group of people, an ethnicity, a country, it's easier to move them in the same direction than people who are diverse. This is the strength of America, by the way, in resisting tyranny is its diversity. And I, gall, do I hope that we to see the weirdest election ever and that like everybody's out i mean you can keep trump if you want but everybody's out you know just flip everything give the democrats the senate uh give the let's have like like the house completely republican and let the senate be entire and just let, let it fight that way for a while and i don't know goodness gracious you can't the, the, the presidency anyway that's a whole different thing fascism Fascism. We're supposed to be talking about fascism. So I don't know which one to call it, right? Because, you know, your book says it's their, their biggest, well, they were, Hitler was a bigot. Sure. Uh, Mussolini was a bigot. Sure. Stalin was a bigot. He's a communist. Uh, so I, you know, I don't know. Um, that's where I should probably just talk to Roseboro again sometime. Um, cause that definition I've worked with is, is largely pulled from him and it, I don't disagree with the problems. I just don't think the terms defined, right. But again, why try to define it now? It's the wolf, right? Def- you can't define the wolf and no one believes there's a wolf anymore. And, uh, communism is a wolf too on that level. So, uh, Rev Fisk, Stacey says this then also, this is still on the fascism topic. Uh, since you have been speaking about some of the current political situations on the SM chill, I wanted to, I wanted you to be aware of something. Uh, this election is not about Democrat versus Republican as we used to understand it. That's only one aspect of the horizontal line. Okay. Um, um, I, sure. I, I can completely agree with you because Democrat and Republican really don't mean much anymore. Uh, uh, there's the Republicans, whatever they are, are fighting with each other for scraps right now while Rome burns. So, I mean, it's just, you're right. This is the end of politics as we knew it, right? Something is shifting. Um, is it good? Is it bad? I don't know, but it's a real, it's a real difference. So the vertical line you say is authoritarianism versus classical liberalism. That is the government makes the decisions or you have to make the decisions, right? And so where are we moving? We're moving toward authoritarianism, right? And that's why I call it fascism because fascism is, the belief that to have a successful community, you must have authoritarianism uh, at some point. And communism is not quite that, uh, right? It, it, communists can be libertarians. They just then get killed by the ones that aren't. <laughs> and then they take over. Uh, so you go on, Stacey. I prefer the freedom of classical liberalism, which is maybe, ironically, being represented by Republicans in this election. Yeah, because it's like everything's backwards, right? It's all completely backwards. Uh, rather than the progressive Democrats who want 
the government to decide my health services, my practice, and my religion. Uh, acceptable. Mm, I can't read that part. Uh, not tolerance, which is different of homosexual. Oh, I see uh, homosexuality and, the, and abortion, and the redistribution of the middle class income. Uh, how it affects small businesses in the U.S. Yeah, all that stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I know you have your own thoughts, uh, but here are LCMS people out here. There are LCMS people out here worried by authoritarianism from the Democratic Party. Just saying, with respect, Stacey. Yeah, right. Well, so, so am I. I mean, it's not like it's not Roe versus Wade. <laughs> it's not like it's not that this whole time. Right. The whole fight is do we keep killing our babies or not? Like that's the political agenda. That's what the White House has been about. And to think that a movement that's about protecting the right of a woman to kill her own baby won't be a movement that's about overreaching your authority, trying to grab more authority for yourself and you've been given by God. Generally, that that's the drift. Like that shouldn't surprise us. That's that's the agenda. And to be the city on the hill, which enlightens all the world, which the mainstream uh, puritanical American agenda has, um, to do that, you have to be enlightened. You know, you you have to be uh, above everybody else. You've been given an authority by your own ability to see what no one else can see. You've been what is it? Woke. Now, funny how much of that language that even the woke language. Like, that's regeneration talk. That's Christian talk. Wake up is language Jesus says to you. <laughs> Be woke. But it doesn't mean this whatever that's going on out there in the name of fascism. And, and, I, and I'm totally with you. I get why you're worried about it. I also think we don't need to worry about it in the sense of do your local diligence, get ready to die if you have to, and then fear not. Where do you think you live? Yay. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Write that one down. Translate it. Again, I will fear no evil. Why? He is with you. You're going to get hurt in some painful but minor way. And then you'll explode in light. And you'll be with Jesus. And it's the worst thing that happens. Speaking of exploding in light, not quite. We got a... Oh, this looks like this might not be the right tag, but we'll find out here. Um, All right. Jenna Knight, Cringe Walker comes in again and says, look, I'm giving you one without going to fundraise. I saw that we got closer. That's great. Uh, buh, 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 buh. He says this, I appreciate the mini sample video clips posted during the week. Uh, it lets the video, or excuse me, it lets the weekend talks regurgitate throughout the week. So you're talking about our smaller clips that we break down and release, kind of like the older videos. Yeah, the real thing is, I mean, they're getting decent views, not not as much as SM Chill does, which I think is understandable. The SM Chill is doing well. It used to have a lot less than the repost did, but They've kind of flipped places. I'm not confident that the uh, the format of YouTube is what those videos are best for. They might be better in a, in not an Instagram necessarily. Would have been better in like a TikTok environment. Thankfully, um, I don't have TikTok on my phone, and hopefully you don't either. Um, but you know that kind of thing. But yes, to take the smaller bite, pause on it. This is what writing down would do. Like you don't need the video clips if you just take five notes over the time and then go back while you read your Bible this week, keep those notes handy. They will connect. I promise you. And you will come up with more words to write down that are reflections of you being in God's word. And that will not disappoint you. I promise you, it will not disappoint you. So yes, um, it's like that and do that kind of thing. This feels like a way to reclaim the role of daily devotions in a tech savvy world. Well, again, we talked about already. I mean, uh, the more I think about discord, uh, or something likened to discord, here's the problem with discord. 
I would love to start a Mad Christian Discord. Uh, and especially if the network was willing to do it. So it's not like I'm always there, you're always there. Right? It's, just, it's just where the network can happen. Um, and the you know helping each other can just be in this space. If you don't know Discord, it's an audio chat and type space. Um, way safer from influence from uh, what? Notifications um, than uh, I would say than Facebook. Um, the problem is what I want, really want to be able to do is drop a video in every once in a while. Um, so I can be on my phone and pop into the group wherever we're networking and, uh, you know, and you're all welcome to be there because we're just a big, you know, uh, movement basically, um, and be able to say something. Now I would be the person in authority at that point, right? If I was doing that. Um, uh, but that's kind of what you gotta do when you're the flag, <laughs> right? So, so here's a, here's a question. I could step back here for half a sec, go back to fascism. So like if the fasci can only be lined up together in the same direction, when you have someone who is stronger than them lining you up together, um, then how would you, you know, if, if that's the argument, what's the counter argument? What's the Christian counter argument? Because we do not claim that a community does not have everyone lined up and going the same direction together. We believe that's very much the case. Well, what is the pastor then the authoritarian whose job is to move everybody in the same direction? No. And this is the, this is a massive dis- difference. It's not a difference between capitalism and communism. I don't think it's a, definitely a difference between say fascism and Christianity. And that is that Christians believe that a leader is followed in the line because he goes first, because he goes ahead, because he does not look back to see if he's being followed. He's going to do it because it's right. And in this way, he's the counterpoint to Nietzsche's Ubermensch, who doesn't do it because it's right. He does it because he wants to. The good man does it because it's right, even when he doesn't want to. And that's why he's not a coward. He's brave, even though he's afraid. Yes? You with me on this? So, taking that, reclaiming that identity of the good man as the leader who goes ahead, for all of us to see that that's in Jesus first, who has gone ahead into death, and returned ahead from death on our behalf. That he now, yes, is an authoritarian figure with a mighty hand ruling all the world, and yet not for the sake of using an iron fist and bashing together clay pots so that they break. It's for the sake of saving you. You. Me. Us. A common union, a community, made in one line with him, a fashi. But more than that, not just a bunch of sticks tied up, Branches grafted into a vine, a living, a living tree in many directions and all directions at once and growing according to God's design in order to be what we're made to be. It's a different vision. It means imitation. It means imitation. I was glad to see Dr. Kuntz, who we have on the show regularly. He will be back again recently, successfully defended his thesis, his uh, his dissertation to become officially a doctor at Temple University outside of Philadelphia, and it was on imitating Jesus. There's a work out there called The Imitation of the Christ. I recommend you do not read it unless you want to do scholarly work on it. It has led to Lutherans ever since, and it's like several hundred years now, um, not wanting to imitate Jesus out of fear of being that book. And it's a problem because Paul says, imitate me, Paul, as I imitate Jesus. And then we wonder why there's a crisis in leadership when we aren't allowed to say that what you are supposed to do is imitate your pastor. And if you're not, you probably need a new pastor or you need to go, (laughs) right? This doesn't mean everything he does, his look, his style, this is all in what he says from the scriptures, how it's true, and how together as a community, we believe it's true. And when that's happening, 
And the scriptures are being opened up and a man is struggling before them to keep his own faith and yet authorized to turn around and declare that you are all free. And that this is a certain and true as if God himself has said it himself. And that, that then leads us to this bread and wine that binds us together. So we not only cannot die, but we cannot be divided here. Because even if we are divided here, yet we are united immediately in resurrection. When all of that is going on, you don't need someone to go like this. You just don't need it. You're too busy living too busy breathing the life which is Jesus' regeneration, being woke in the best sense. Yeah. Now, and, and I can't say it enough. The level of your experience of freedom in hearing what goes on at church is going to be like, now this is not scientific, I'm anecdotal right now, anecdotal, but it is like inversely proportionate to the amount of time on a screen you have that week. And I'm not kidding. Want your faith to grow, you need to stop letting everyone else in the world but Jesus tell you what to think and what to do. Uh, Thanks for that. Um, uh, I don't know if I got to the end of it there, Jedi Knight, but we're going to go ahead and, uh, well, uh, fine, 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 fine. I feel guilty now. Come back. The end. Uh, Maybe there's a way to include discipline of smart noking in in these samples. Yeah, right. So that's the real thing there, right? Is how you then, I've already talked about this enough this morning, how if you just stop just watching and take a note and then Rewrite the note when you're done. You have your first note, right? Scribble, scribble. It's messy. Get a little cleaner and it gets messy as you go. If you do it again, it'll be like really clean. Like, Man, I wrote that. Look how clean that is. It's because you did it a couple of times. You think you can make a D every time you try, but it's a lot easier if you just did it a moment ago in the same word. Like your, your muscle memory kicks in. It gets cleaner. And next thing you know, the more you smart or tee up your notes, the smarter those notes get. Well, the smarter the note you left yourself is, the smarter you're going to be as soon as you read it. <laughs> and then if you translate it again, guess what happens? It gets better still. So yeah, yeah. Um, do it to the videos, little videos. Do it to whatever you're doing. Honestly, here, here's the thing. There's two things. You should almost never not have a piece of paper somewhere near you and a pen for making a note. And then you should almost never not translate it one time onto another piece of paper. If it's not even that same piece of paper, one more time underneath it. And then you should never feel like you have to keep it ever, 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 ever. Even if it's like the most important thought you ever had in your entire life, like you just had nearly a divine revelation, you can still throw it away. Why? Because you remember it now. That's what you just did. You made yourself know it. And it doesn't even have to be like, I can quote it. It means it's now in your neural network as part of your system of thinking. Now, the book, How to Take Smart Notes by Aaron's, is what this case is made by and from. And I can't make the case for you right now. I mean, that's if I write a book on this topic, which I've now maybe shifted in whether I want to publish, I'd rather just talk about it. Um, in any case, if I do, it'll be on trying to prove that issue of what I just said there and show you how this works. But um, it doesn't, you don't have to, you don't have to understand it for it to work. And I'm just going to bog you down trying to explain how it works. All you have to do is take what you make a first note. I made a note. It says, I can't even read it. It's like, there's like letters there. I'm not sure, but I'm pretty confident that word right there means mom. Okay. So mom, and I think about it. I miss my mom and feel guilty for not doing this for my mom, period. Okay. Now you've got a second note. That's your T note. Okay. But that's, what am I going to do with that? Well, I can just acknowledge it. Yeah, I do. All right, throw it away. I can write another note underneath it, maybe in a different color, that says, run the same thing. It says, okay, um, this would be alleviated by dot, 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 one, two, three. And maybe I just take those three things and go one, two, three, um, for mom. And now I have a third note or a fourth note that says for mom, you know, call her Wednesday at four, do this, do this. And I've gone from what was guilt and emotion that I was just carrying around a white noise shouting at me to be more stressed about it. 
to experiencing the emotion, even if it was negative, and countering it with what I know and I believe to be good and true. And seeing it in my world as more visual reinforcement is a positive feedback loop that also, if you know what this means, is a positive sum game, which is super awesome. So, yeah, you triggered me with smart notes because they are they are a way to stop the white noise. Triggered indeed. Indeed. Um, how are we doing? Last I looked, someone had given us a summary for fundraising. I know Brian had jumped in with a nice I'll just I'll put Brian in here. Thank you, Brian, for the fifty bucks. Um I'm a couple episodes behind on clip making. Well, God, you do Yaleman's work and you could skip a few of those clips here and there. Um so I saw there was a yeah, there's a two ten. Are we still at two ten? Thought I saw that we got something up. Uh that one didn't light up for me for some reason. That's really weird. So there we go. And that pushed us up to 260. Thank you, Michael, for that. That's weird. Normally, this would be highlighted in blue on my screen, and it's not. And so that's why I missed that one. So we're at 260. Cool. So 40 bucks, guys. And I'll stop talking about it to try to get that camera for more cool stuff for you on these very topics. In the meantime, we got a nice theological one coming here with, oh, I missed it from the masks earlier, but it's it's kind of a different question than masks. We kind of we won't go back to dealing with masks anymore. We'll just do this, uh, um, the, the kind of the focal point here, uh, which is, yeah, when do you disobey the government? It's not just about masks. This is just in general. When do you disobey the government? Uh, so in response to a comment about wearing masks, uh, Pastor Bruss from St. John's, Topeka, Kansas, wrote this Bible study. I uh, was one of our vacancy pastors over the last year at Christ in Topeka. And uh, I've looked through this, and I'm, I'm pretty content with it. Uh, it says this, uh, expert, uh, have we Christians reached the point of resistance regarding the mask order? Right? Are we supposed to not wear masks because they've told us if we don't, then we're, then we're evil people, and we're going to go to hell? Right? And, and like, is it a matter of our religion? Are we in a state of confession? Must we resist? And his answer is no. And I'm like, yep, you're right. Oh. And one more. Totally my business, by the way. Um, he answers, here's why. Here's his defense. God's Christians can still gather. God's sacraments can still be administered to us. The rites of the church can still be observed among us. The proclamation and hearing of absolution and the sermon still go out in our midst. And no one has commanded conscience and body, is commanded conscience or body to believe or act contrary to God's word. Yes, yeah, spot on, brother. Well, Pastor Bruce, you God bless you. That's exactly right. Like, have they stopped us from having church yet? Now, are there churches that rolled over and stopped things that they haven't gotten back up yet? That they, if they just hadn't stopped, maybe they'd be there still. Yeah, yeah. But, but is there any prohibition generally in America against gathering for the things he said in some way? No. Is it more more annoying than it used to be? Is it harder? Are there differences? Yes. But but is it impossible? Are we commanded to not meet? No. Therefore, we should not be breaking the laws. Um, we should not be considering ourselves to be no longer under their authority. We should certainly be involved in changing the positions of those who are making laws that are bad, right? I mean, yes, that's advocating being civil uh, and being in, involved in civil government. You're, you're the policy of your area. Have we talked about this here yet, by the way? I don't like politics, really. Okay. So um, politics means the taking care of the city. It's a Greek word, okay? Politic, to take care of the city. I don't like politics. You don't like taking care of the city. There's only bad people taking care of the city. And so you don't want to take care of the city, <laughs> right? So it's just not an argument. It's, 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 it's pure ignorance. You are the useful fool when you say, I don't like politics, or that religion doesn't impact politics, it always impacts. It doesn't mean you have to be hateful about it. Um, but what you believe is always going to impact the politics. 
So have they, with their politics, stopped us? Have they, in their policing of the politic, the city around us, have they stopped us from meeting? No. Are they defunding their own policing? Yes, that's weird. Totally different thing, right? But, but in the meantime, can we still gather? Yes. So should we still do what we're asked to by our local authorities when they ask us to wear masks, even if we think they're completely useless? Yes, we should, because Christians are good people. And we're just trying to do our best and not upset the apple cart. We know that as bad as a bad man might be as king, a gaping hole of vacuum chaos is worse. Rewind that. Go read some history. Great answer so far, Pastor Bruce. He continues, I anticipate that there will be sharp disagreement on whether wearing masks is effective. Yeah, amen. Uh, that, many of, that many of you are suspicious of political agendas behind pro-mask and anti-maskers. Yeah, amen. And that... While some of you think all of this is ridiculous, yes, others believe no one is taking it seriously enough. Yep. Amen. This is a pastor who's doing his job. Good for you, dude. Uh, That's all fine and good. But at the end of the day, such opinions don't really matter. Yes. Why? Because for our purposes as Christians and as a congregation, we take our guidance from God's word, not the pundits. Yes. Uh, So let's not allow these pressures coming on Christ's church from the outside to become so divisive within the church. In in promulgating the mask order, the divinely instituted authorities are doing their job of governing. Let's say nothing more or less about it, and let's not turn it into a bone of contention within our walls. Um, And then uh, the full article is there. It's from Anne-Marie. Now, I'm I'm only going to say one thing I disagree with my friend on here. We're brothers, and and, we're going to pastor together in our various places. Um, I would not tell my congregation, let's say nothing more or less about it. I say, let's keep talking about it within the framework you created. I want them to say more and less in the sense of, I want them to keep bringing their concerns and fears out to each other in a place where they learn to talk about it with each other and not and rah, rah, not yell and soundbite and sound clip each other to death, right? And, and that's just it. Even if you're all on the same page politically in the congregation, which it tends to be the case in most congregations everywhere, um, even if you're all on the same page, it doesn't mean you can't be divided over something and fall into the rhetoric style that you've picked up from watching Fox News, Fox News or CNN or whatever guy is the talking head that's like not going to talk with as long a paragraph as me because they got to go to make the money on the clips right away, right? So uh, being aware of that, right? Being aware of that. Uh, and otherwise, all I can say is, uh, this is just fantastic pastoring. And I'm so grateful to be part of a church body where this is the kind of work that's out there. And Marie, you know, you're on the ground for the Lutheran cause. I thank you for sharing this with us, uh, the report live again. Um, uh, you understand us, the chill out there, you, us, the chill, that you are what make all of this you you make this happen. The value of this is not my shaking beads. <laughs> the value of this is not my commentary. The value of this is that right now I'm a flag waving in the air for Lutherans and Christians of goodwill, of a certain mindset to not sit on our duffs and to believe the Bible and be really brave about it, to kind of get together underneath the banner right? And work together, get to know each other, make context and build things on your own. That's what the Mad Network is all about. That's what the Lutheran Layman's Local Action Network is going to be about. We want to build something that we just get out of us as fast as possible and make it its own thing that can enable you again in very specific ways to help your community. Um, And I'm so excited. We're months away. We're months away from your own local chapter starting. But the 
the process of prototyping it is starting to happen. Um, and we, we want to go through it with a couple of groups first before we start giving out resources and things like that uh, and, and being official. But uh, your prayers on the matter, right? Pray that we would have a men's organization as Christians and Lutherans in America that men are not embarrassed to join but can't wait to sign up for. Uh, pray that uh, that the message would always in that organization or for at least a generation or five remain the confession that Christ is crucified and shall never die again. This is good news and not a reason to have a finger shaked a finger shaked in your face. Um, all of that, right? When do you resist? When do you actually uh, resist what they're saying? When they tell you to not do something God has said to do. And so the, the, the pastor said it so well. If, if they say you are not allowed to gather for the Lord's Supper, you don't have to obey that. You can. You can still decide. This is a bad idea right now. But you, you don't have to. Yeah, and, and that's the key. Now, look at this. We all just got there. Thank you. Thank you, all of you. We'll just go back. We jumped in the last few moments. There was, uh, well, look, they all didn't get, get held up again. Um, but we got we got a total here of 340. Thank you, everybody. I promise not to do this more than once a month, and I don't want to do it even that often if I can help it. But when I need a specific piece uh, to come to you and say we need to get this, we need to fundraise this, get this camera just like this one right here. It's, look how great that that picture is. Look at that. It stays in focus on both levels. Um, it's just, it's great. Um, so we will get another one of those in hopefully by a month and a half from now. We know exactly where it is. We got it set up, and you're seeing even what's in front of me as I'm working on it, which... Right now, here's what we got left for the morning. What time is it? I got a clock right here. Ooh. We have my greatest mistake. Ooh. We got Mass Cube. Didn't I already do that one? We got <laughs> Roman 6. Watch these feed. All right. So what do we do? Let's do Roman 6. No. We'll end with Roman 6. Let's do, let's see what this mass one is. Is that really, I mean, I'm kind of done with it myself, but look, mass, mass, you guys aren't done with it. Oh, nope, nope. Yes, we are. Cool. That one's gone. We did that one. Away. I feel like Gambit. It's awesome. Here we go. Uh, L is my greatest public mistake. It's not that big a deal, but it is. It's sad. Um, so, back in February 2017, Fist did a talk. Uh, I need to be able to go this way. So if I did this, hold on. Here we go. This is the setup we want, right? That'll do. I probably went broken on the other side of me then. Oh, other people pay people to do this, but we're poor. There we go. All right. If I could get the camera, ah, we'll, we'll figure it out one week at a time. 2017, Fisk did a talk for Washington University in St. Louis. That was interesting. That was like this kind of stuff before. And I thought, this is crazy. Like, how are they targeting me with it? There was a there was a um a protest set up in the hall outside where I was supposed to speak. The protest had probably 35 actual people there, but the hall that they were in was given over to where anybody would hang out on campus that night. Generally, it was like the main auditorium for that or whatever. It's like, it's like a clubhouse for, you know, a spoiled youth, basically, um, to learn things. We swear, only, ever. Um, that's what college is. Just learning. Uh, so they, they set up out there and they had a mic system and they were calling me names. Um, and the names were interesting because they would accuse me of things that 
while I knew I had talked about the topic before, I don't remember saying the things I was accused of saying before, uh, and, and whatnot. So that was all going on outside, uh, the room. Um, there, they did have a security presence there. Uh, it was pretty light. I was never in danger, but I was scared. I honestly was, I'd been, you know, the, the LCMS, uh, has sort of a, a damage control. If, if the media gets a hold of you, you know, here, here's our prep course on how not to like put your foot in your mouth on national TV. And I went through that with them. I was very thankful for that. That was, that was very useful training. I don't know how much of it stuck with me since I didn't actually have to use it, but, um, but, you know, it was, it was a big deal at that point, overblown, I suppose, the way most Missouri Synod stuff is. I mean, just the, we all think it's a bigger deal than it really is. There were 35 students protesting me. Um, I mean, as you know, whatever. Um, and it's because I was talking about marriage and procreation. Now, here, here's the thing. Okay, so uh, I did that, um, and the protest happened. Is there a video of this talk? No. Uh, and I'll say why in a moment. So I was discussing with people the difference between winning an argument and shaming your opponents— versus lovingly dialoguing with your neighbor. Yeah. At the time, I recall seeing many university talks done by others, and their reaction was to stand up for justice and belittle the wrongdoers. Then I watched Fisk lovingly interact with those who strove to ruin his talk through this, and I was able to see the different approach we as Christians are able to have with those who hate us. Thank you. I tried very hard to do that, and thank you for agreeing that I achieved it. Um, If anyone can point me to that video, they won't be able to, uh, it would be much appreciated. As much as I enjoy watching truth proclaimed in the face of evil, most of those kinds of videos are not done in such a way as to love your enemy. Yeah, it's too bad that this part's lost. I, I, it really is. Um, but done purely to smack them down. Yeah, and that's the, the sound bite, right? We're just going to yell at each other till we win. Win by brainwashing. Um, this video, on the other hand, was the only one, uh, the only, only time I saw a YouTube in this style that stood in for truth, yet interacted in love, and would like to share with a friend. Well, to do that, I got to get processes again, and we got to record it again. The problem was that I made what I can only call a clerical error. It was a very simple clerical error. It was one math problem at one point at which I really got it wrong. And so even though everything else I said in that talk about world population issues and the demographic bomb that's going to hit us as we just don't have as many people to keep the chaos we already have devolving into chaos going and things like supply change uh, in terms of high quality goods and food that is healthy and things like that, they're going to get more and more difficult because we're going to have less people working together and the britches that we built around us, you know, your pants for the civilization, they're going to be too big. And by 2050, this is for sure happening and it's all about birth control. And if we don't get back to having two to three, three to four children per family, there's just no way any group of people survives going into something other than a recession, a tremendous global recession of the standard of living. The problem is that I the, the number that I added up that was wrong overshot one like really public statement fact by so much that if I left that out there, the whole talk and that one error is in it. And I had put over the top of it. This is an error. Here's the correct number. It still means something. Um, but the problem is it so ruins the moment in the talk that I didn't want to hurt the cause later, like now, by having somebody come and find that one clip and use it to undo everything else I say about that topic. Does that make sense? Uh, so um, it's it may still be out there. And all I do is I, it's the numbers just wrong. I just talk about, you know, how many on a worldwide level the actual population will be. Um, and, uh, and the way in which that happens per generation based on the stats. And I'm thankful to the guys on the internet who picked it up right away. They're like three guys, uh, or two that right away said, well, everything else seems right, but this number, I was, ah, 
And the sad thing was I went on issues, et cetera. And we had a big thing on that too. It was really good stuff. Um, and you can probably find that. You can find me making the error there if you want to. Um, but none of that really had anything to do with what you're talking about, which is how do you engage a, a hate culture? Ha. How do you engage hate speech when they actually hate you for being white and male and Christian or white and female and Christian or black and female and a Trump supporter? You know what I mean? How, when they hate you, when people hate you with their speech, what do you do? And we do not have enough examples of that to imitate, Mike. You're exactly right. And I'm sorry that we lost that video for that reason. And if you invite me to speak at your college campus and we get a topic that is significantly offensive enough, I'm sure we can do it again. <laughs> you know, um, do we want to? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Um, now I think I have one card left. I should have one card left. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? My biggest mistake. There it is. I put them up here. Ah, yeah. Romans six, which we preached on last week. And this is actually because one of you listened to it. Thank you. Those of you who listen to the sermons that are put up every week from St. Paul Lutheran church. Um, and, uh, care enough about it to ask a question. It's fantastic. So thank you for posting your sermon, Romans 6, the 14 words and fulfillment on July 20th. Could you please explain exactly what you meant by water to head to mouth, to hand to water to head to mouth, to hand to water to head to mouth to hand at about 2320. Uh, I get the water to head part of baptism. I seem to need the rest of it spelled out, right? So Jesus well, we can debate. Did Jesus actually baptize the 12 or not? You can get into like a really angels on the head of a pin debate about that one. I'm just going to land on, I think it's a good guess. And so it's okay. Jesus baptized his 12, but didn't baptize anybody else. Maybe he baptized 15, you know, whatever. Um, right in the inner circle, he baptized those he named apostles, um, the ones who are the 12 apostles, clearly. And then they were empowered to baptize. And when I say others, I mean, did he baptize some of the women himself who then were not apostles, right? I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't matter to me. What I know is that he did baptize baptize somebody, I think. And then for sure, he told them to go baptize other people, right? And then that authority that happened from the apostles minus Judas post-resurrection um, is the water to head part of the comment, right? So so Jesus says, but it first is words to ear, to head, right? To hand and mouth to water on somebody else's head. Jesus said, do that. It happened. Now that person believes now, maybe they are, maybe they aren't. Let's just say they are. That one happens to be one of the ones who who does become a pastor. And that person who had water to head, the baptism of Jesus, the unification of his atonement into everlasting righteousness declared to him, as they promised, a free gift to be believed by faith alone, now is over some other person who's not baptized and speaks the same words over the same water. So to hand a water to head. Somebody else who then believes and then goes and a generation later or throughout a generation does it again and again. So hand to water to head to hand to water to head to hand to water to head straight in line from Jesus. Baptism. His idea. Make sense? Hope it made sense. I, the water hits your head. The faith is promised to you. You grow up. You hear the word of God. You believe it because the faith promised that you would. And then someone, you want them baptized. They get baptized. Now the church extends again by the hands of the church, more water to somebody else's head. Right? It's just faith generation. Uh, But the thing is, the point is baptism generates faith for the community, for the individual. And the Lord's Supper does it too. You can't believe that if you don't believe it is anything. If it's just a symbol, it can only generate symbolic faith. (laughs) Um, I will advocate that. Oh, by the way, just in case you're worried about that, it means wash, teach, feed, as well as other things. Um, but wash, teach, feed. The things we do as Christians. 
Yeah? Uh, baptism, we relish the fact that we are washed clean in Christ. Uh, teaching, in all things we confess the truth as best as we are able with love for our neighbor and then feed well, along with daily meat <laughs> and daily bread, if that be your course. Uh, we also feast upon the bread and wine, which are the immortality of Jesus, him own, his own self, uh, given to bind us. So whatever else the world's white noise might throw at us, it cannot knock us off our game. As our game's already won, the war is already over. The stronghold, the final one, is demolished. The only question is, which strongholds remain in your mind? How tied down and leashed up are you by the mental slavery of the devil's lies? And Mad Christianity's here to say, well, you know what? We all are a little bit, but we all don't have to be all the time all because Scripture well, it gives us a different narrative, right? A different story. And the beginning of it is that Jesus wins and he's got you. And when he says that, he means it and you can't lose. And if you don't want to believe that, you're just wasting your time. And if you want to believe that and you don't, I don't know why, other than that, you're an unbeliever at heart. And so you won't let yourself. But, well, whatever, shut up, sit down, believe it now, <laughs> right? There's no way to like magically law gospel my way around saying it well enough to say you're a believer and stop worrying about whether or not you're a believer now. It's the power of baptism. So stand upon the ruins of the world and don't wallow in the muck with those who have no hope. I didn't even take my big breaks this morning. 72 of you still with me after three hours in. Thank you for helping me raise enough money to purchase that new camera this morning. Thank you for all of you who support on Patreon. Again, that really is what makes it all go around. I am a bivocational pastor now. That is, I have two jobs and making these videos on Saturday is one of them insofar as feeding my kids goes. So thank you for that. If you ever want to be part of making all that this happens, you know, do more than just a one-time fundraiser. Patreon's the way to do that. Meanwhile, through all of that, you're also getting Mad Mondays, a weekly news magazine that comes to your email inbox put together by you, by us the chill, for you, us the chill, with, you know, my caveat on top of the thing, but it is the go-to source for keeping your brain sane in the midst of the white noise that's out there right now, especially if you be a Lutheran Christian. So you got you to dig on board with that. Um, keep sending us your stuff, by the way. You're the people on the ground telling us what you want to hear about, and if you find that good news, send it to redfist.com slash contact, and we will check it out and share it if it's seems to indeed be relevant. Um, uh, thanks to all the Mad Network that does all the work behind the scenes to make all of this happen. And I feel like there's at least one of those announcements. Oh, let's talk about Stop the White Noise. So the plan was this, right? And um, Brian and Pizza People, um, can we slice this one and get this one out this week just so anybody who's on audio only can hear this? You know, if you're on, if you're an audio only uh, Mad Christian listener, you don't always listen to all of Saturday morning chill. No, not everybody does. And so getting this kind of news is tough, right? So the plan was to launch two new podcast-only podcasts, one with Brian uh, Wolfmuller and one with Adam Kutz, uh, a Stop the White Noise and a Brief History of Power. And those were going to be things that showed up on the Podbean channel so that this channel that exists as an outlet um, and where a lot of past content is doesn't disappear. And so that we're not just dumping video content onto the podcast channel. And these are these are two gentlemen that I love talking to, that I like learning from. They were willing to talk with me. And so it was going to turn into not just something I'm producing for you, but it's more like you're a fly on my wall and I'm learning and yay for everybody, right? A rising tide lifts all shifts. ships. Now, what happened between now and then, aside from more of the crazy of COVID, um, is that because of all of that, Pastor Wolfmuller has decided to take a hiatus in public teaching in certain areas and arenas for a bit. 
And, um, and he and I have talked at length about this and you just go to his website. If you want to know more, he's doing fine. Uh, it's going to be good in the long run. Uh, he's, he's getting a trajectory, I think is, is the best way I would say that, um, which is good. Uh, but that meant that he's stepping back from basically all outside projects. So he stepped back from stop the white noise right as I went on vacation. <laughs> uh, and then we were going to actually have one. We'd hoped to have one, uh, out at that point with him just doing it. So what that meant is that that podcast now hasn't shown up for three or four weeks, even though we had effectively launched it. Um, in trying to think about who to have as my, my replacement, uh, we talked about this last week, uh, uh, Meredith, my wife, plans to be the replacement, and we're going to make it not only about the white noise of information and theology, that'd be my end of it, we're gonna also going to make it about home economics and uh, life management on the ground. Right? What good are all these T-notes you know, when you got you know 15 screaming kids? Not that we have 15, but some people do, and they're not all screaming, by the way, but how do you manage that so that they're not all screaming? So stop the white noise. How to be a Christian, parent, marriage, all that stuff, me and my wife, uh, coming soon, but not next week, probably. Um, uh, it, I want to make sure, since I had to rethink the whole thing, we, we, we get both these things launched about the same time, uh, or excuse me, both these things launched with full intention. And because Stop the White Noise was all ready to go, um, I wasn't really prepared to get more time to it other than making it. And the A Brief History of Power hopefully will be launching next week uh, and with uh, with Pastor Kuntz and I. And so that one, we're going to be looking at the, the history of the world and how it applies to what we as Lutherans can learn from it and we as Christians can learn from these rising and falling of nations. And and in, just in case it wasn't fun enough, I am going to call it officially A Brief History of Power with Two White Guys because um, that just makes it all the more fun. Um, and if you don't like that, are you a racist? Uh, and I really do mean that. So uh, that'll be the tenor of that show a little bit. So th- those things are coming. Um, I, on my conscience, they weigh on me like, oh, people won't watch as much of his stuff if he doesn't get out things faster. And I'm trying to tell myself, no, you want the good stuff. Uh, and, and that's why my Daniel notes made it into a smart pile this week that has made it into a podcast to review some of the work I've already done on a potential one shot Daniel podcast that is not gone. Right. But it's so much better when I'm not working out of guilt. And so for that reason, uh, hang tight on all the other stuff. You got Saturday morning chill and the videos for sure this week, man, Mondays for sure this week, the audio, it's just going to be in process. Um, but we're working on having a lot of avenues and more than just my voice as well. Um, lots going on behind the scenes. So thanks for tuning in. You know what you need to know, which is that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. You know that no matter what else the world continues to say about China and COVID and sunshine and kids and masks and whether or not and how we should and who you should vote for and what they say about mobs and racial tensions and financial struggles or thefts and violent action and or peaceful protests and Marxists and capitalists and all the other things, the communists and the fascists. And as Joe Biden, I mean, what did he say? Was it even a sentence? All of it. FBI. Going to the moon going to Mars, being invaded by aliens. Joe Rogan's back on that one this week, and I don't know. I don't know. But what I know is that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Write it down and ask yourself what it means for the day. Write that down. And then don't wallow in the muck with those who have no hope. Thank you.
Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please? <laughs>